Welcome, everybody. We're back. Bottom of the bill, season six. Um, you might notice a couple changes. Um, we are in a new space uh, for right now. Billy is no longer with the podcast. He's going to take a break for a while. May or may not come back. We don't know. Um, but uh, for right now, he's taking a break. Um, but today we have an amazing interview. Isaac Corbett, our boy, for a long time, Melody Trucks Band, TikTok Sensation, Honer Artist, uh, just amazing musician, harmonica player. The way he thinks about things in general is just awesome. I really had a great time with this conversation. Um, we connected on a lot of different levels, uh, martial arts and uh, the unpopular opinion that was just grotesque. Not going to get over that one. Uh, anyways, um, yeah, so we're stoked about this being our first episode back. We hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, let us know what you think in the comments, all that good stuff. We are also announcing our 100th episode we're doing live march 5th with annie dukes they're gonna be uh we're doing it live at uh kingmaker brewery so we're gonna be doing that it's a sunday we're gonna do an interview with annie dukes and they're, they're gonna perform afterwards so we're really stoked about that uh tickets are gonna be available soon uh, we'll put links uh, in the description for all that stuff uh, as they come uh merch stores up all that good stuff check out what we got going on um, and yeah, uh, thank you guys for tuning in and we hope you enjoy the episode. As our friend would say, bottom of the bill starts now. This is bottom of the bill. bunch of different doll systems uh but i always somehow i'm i guess i'm just lazy and i end up going i pay all this money for all these things and then i end up going back to garage man yeah I, it's it, just it's more user friendly yeah for, for me for sure i could i definitely get that i used it for a long time to be fair well, i'm terrible know, with every doll i hate uh i love the process of recording and being in the studio but i hate pushing the buttons i'm so bad at it producer in training see i'm kind of I'm kind of the opposite. I hate being in the studio and sitting around and recording and just spending the time fucking just over and over and over and over and over. To me, it's just like so blah, blah. Yeah. Then you're listening to other people do their parts over and over and over. I guess if it's like a project like me and my brother or me or something, it might be different. But if it's a different band project and there's a ton of members and a ton of things going on, it's just so fucking monotonous. But I do enjoy the recording part. I think it's made my whole recording experience more of a pleasure. Yeah. Learning this side of it. So I can at least learn from whoever's the engineer or producer. But now that I've been doing it all my own and putting out my own stuff and uh, I've learned a ton and I've also learned you don't have to spend a ton of money to have. Honestly, I'll have a, something I'm like, eh, okay, it's not the best, but at the same time, it's not the worst. Like, I'm not going to sit here and drill myself, and I'll send it to someone master it, and they'll send it back like, that's me. Yeah. 
damn, this sounds good. You know, it's like, I think it's a matter of like, I can do what I need to do. And then like, if I need to do more, like I won't do vocals at my house here with this setup. I'll like go to a studio and do vocals and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll get a different mix. Yeah. I recently did a, um, some remote recording here at my house for my friend. I'll do a quick plug for, are we recording Chris? Yeah, we're good to go. Oh word. Uh, for my friend Keith Harry, who's releasing some music up in uh, Asheville, um, and uh, nice. he, uh, he he sent me some tracks, and I, I tracked a bunch of guitar stuff here with a little Scarlet system direct in, and then uh, like a cheap plugin that I that I bought, and I recorded. And I was like, yeah, it's. I mean, it sounds okay. And then I listened to it in the context of his song. Once he got it mixed and mastered, and it it works. You know, it sounds great. So you know, you don't need a whole lot, dude. That's that's what I run here. I run a 16 channel board, a two channel little focus, right? You know, it's just, you know, it's, it's bare minimum, but then I got a little MPK, you know, Kai mini board and it's just for my MIDI stuff. And I got a whole bunch of harmonicas right next to me and guitars and mandolins and basses. And Hell yeah. It's kind of like, I can, I can at least get what I need to get. And even if it doesn't sound like it was quality, I can send it to someone in a quality studio and they can make it sound like it was quality. Totally. So it's kind of like, that's almost like one of those fake it till you make it things. But hell, you know, I'm living in Nashville, dog. These motherfuckers, if you're not spending $900,000 on a record, it ain't even a record. Right. You know I mean, if there's not a million dollars going into it, that ain't even a record. Totally, man. So I'm trying to do that shit, you know, for $300, you know, with mixing and mastering. Like, it, it's, the, it's the gorilla way. But it's how many bands have made it the gorilla way and then go and get swamped in debt? You know, making a million dollar record when you've already proven that you got famous making a thousand dollar record. Right. So it's like, right. Yeah, man, it's such a weird balance to to figure out because you wanna you wanna elevate to that next level, you know. But at the same time, it's like there's all these new stipulations that come into play and all this new pressure when you're talking about, you know. It works the same like any other business. You find investors and then you have to, you know, get the, your investors their money back and you come up with a game plan and figure out, you know, what's the strategy to get my money back look like type thing. And music yeah. is the same thing. You know, you get involved with labels or even private investors that come through and, you know, give you a bunch of money and like there's got to be a game plan. And sometimes it's like there's something to be said for that. But you, I think it's really important to wait till the right time to make those leaps because people get way ahead of themselves, you know. Dude, we get. Are we? Are we good? Are we in this? We're we're about to get deep. Yeah, into this we're, we're, we're recording. We're recording. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say we can go deep on this if you want because I feel like there's a whole bunch of people in this world, and what I mean by people is I mean by um, uh, people's a good way to put it because that's not putting anyone in the category, but like any kind of art I'll say whether it be music whatever medium it is of your artistic you know whatever um someone's found a way to monopolize on oh it. yeah someone's found a way to make your life easier and more glamorous just sign the dotted line right and like that's all we ever wanted and I say we as in like me and my brother and a lot of people I used to run with growing up you know that's all you ever wanted you waited for that contract. You want that tour bus. You want that record label. And now, if a record label approached me, I would laugh and run the other way. Yeah. It's like such a different ball game now because of the internet. And like 
I feel like a lot of these young younger artists are like, oh, let me get that record deal. Let me get that record deal. Uh, y'all need to go check out Jelly Roll's page. You know, Jelly Roll just put out this entire interview on like, let me tell you what the record companies do not want you to know. Really? When, is, did, when did that come out? Dude, it came out a couple weeks ago. Okay, I'll check that and out. I shared sure. it. I shared. I shared it on my page. Two people liked it, and it was like. Because people don't want to hear that shit. They want to see happy pictures. They want to see this and that. The algorithms. Yeah, exactly. Nobody saw it. Yeah. But that video was something that I I was watching it going, there's people that are pissed right now that he's saying this. What kind of stuff was he saying? He should never be saying this. He was saying it all. He was explaining how a record deal goes. He was explaining how a Nashville record deal goes. He was calling out actual record companies, like record deal companies, record labels. Right. He was like, you know, this, this is what you do. So this is how you get you. This is what they give you. This is the percentages. Okay, do you know what a percentage deal is? Let me show you what a percentage deal is. And he goes through all the percentages. And he just really goes in depth about it all and how serious it is and how serious that, like, by the time you make it famous, you're at least a million in debt. By the time people see you on CMT and on country music or they see you, you know, on on TV or you're getting blasted on social media, you're a million dollars in debt. Yeah, totally. So it's that's a low end. That's a low end. You know, that's just your record, you know. But it's like people don't understand that, like, this whole... A smoke and mirrors thing of a record label and getting a deal, you know, in this age, it almost is better just to buy your own RV, pay it off, start your own small business, you know what I mean? Pay that shit off, treat it like a business. That's where I feel like a lot of bands go wrong. They don't treat their band like a business, they treat it like a band. Yeah, totally. You know, you know, they don't teach you that kind of shit in high school. You know, they teach you all this stuff that you may or may not need to know, but they don't teach you how to manage money. Right. You know, and they don't teach you how to, like, you know, just depending on which career you're going to follow, like, this is what you should do and how you should do it. And here's an, here's an accountant to tell you why. You know, it's because that's the people in bands just do what people in bands do. Right. And it's like they set, them, they set themselves up for failure. That's what record labels are looking for. Right. They're looking for people that don't know how to manage themselves so they can come in and get you in there. And then they get you in debt for as long as you're, you know, whatever your contract, maybe 10, seven years, whatever it is. They got your ass. Yeah. And then then all you don't own your music. Now you don't own the rights to your music. Now you don't own your tour bus that you love so much. Right. Now, Ooh. if I, I, I can, I, I, I do... Uh, want to push back on this a little bit because I think that there's still a place for labels. Um, I think there's a lot of like independent labels out there that are trying to be more, you know, want to catering to their artists a little bit more. But also, I I don't think it's unlike any other business. though when you think about it, right? It's like you have people that are you know the talent of a business. If you're like a if you're a contractor and your thing is like you can build shit or you're really handy and you can like use, but like maybe you're not a business person. Right. So it's like you find an investor to come in to like get you all the things that you need to set you up. Right. And then they're a partner or whatever, however it works, you know, whatever deal you strike. I think music works in the same way with the labels. It is tricky when, when you're talking about how you pay labels back, there was an interview with a, uh, what's his name from the counting crows, Adam Durant, or I think that's his name. Uh, he was talking about it. He was like, he was like, so let's say the label, this is like, you know, back in the 90s, right? So it's a little different now, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. 
So like, but he was talking about, you know, their first record they put out with a label and he was like, you know, it's like, okay, well, here's a, let's just say $500,000 advance. Right. And then yeah. it's like, okay, so you got to pay it back. Obviously what they don't say is that it's not like you just pay back the $500,000 and then you're good to go. It's that you're paying back the $500,000 through a certain, like you're funneling it through a certain thing. Right. So it's like, it's like you're also with interest. Yeah. Well, of course. Yeah. The, of course with interest, but it's like, it's, you're paying, uh, you're, you're paying the 500 grand, uh, through a percentage of record sales, however that works. And it's got to come from that percentage. And then, and then it's like, you're paying the interest on top of that. It gets really tricky with how you pay them back, you know, um, because it's a, yeah. it's a big risk, you know, so I, I get, I get all sides of it. You know, I think that there's definitely a need for, for money people. I think like the best thing for them to do though, is just be the money let the artist create. And then hopefully there's, I think, I know you're completely right. I think it all comes down to uh, something I've gone back and forth with a lot of people over over the years is of what avenue of music are you? Right. You know what I mean? There's the people like the Tedeschi trucks. You ain't never gonna hear them on the radio, not on like big radio. Right. You know what I mean, there's the string. There's the string cheese incident. There's all these major bands. That right. you ain't never going to hear on major radio. Right. You know, but they have awesome labels who support them and pay them. And they're not probably a million dollars in debt. It's a whole different thing. I guess I'm living in Nashville for too long now. I'm thinking like that Nashville country bullshit scene that they got going on up here. Totally. You know, and that's where that big money maker is because that's what the crap you hear on the radio that most of us musicians laugh at and joke at, you know. Yeah. It's cookie. It's like cookie cutter neighborhood shit. It's like every house looks the same. Every song sounds the same. Yeah, I mean, we've talked a lot about the uh, the pop country uh, epidemic that has plagued uh, the, the the our culture. Dude, I'm today. probably all in it. I'm probably <laughs> all in it. I just I released I just re- recently released a damn pop country song. It is what it is. Yeah, hey, you know, I, it's one. <laughs> I can't. I didn't even want it to go that way, but by the time it was already come out, I was like. Damn, I kind of hate myself for it, but it is what it is. Like, Look at man, there's nothing wrong with with. I think that as a songwriter, as an artist, it's good to try and put yourself in those head spaces and try and write in different genres, even if you're not like a fan of them, just to try and understand the genre, right? As like an exercise, right? But, um, just like it, it. But that's about as far as my appreciation for that genre of music goes, because same. Like the, it's just like the people that go out to the bars and they request those songs, they sing those songs. You're just like, really? Like this is, you're okay with like this, this fast food version of this genre of music. That's just like, there's no thought to it. Three chords, just like the same melodies. It's just like all, it's just so recycled. It's like the, the over embellished twang. And like half these guys are not from like the country. They're just like, they're, they're performers, you know, it's just, it's hilarious. Yeah. So I don't know. There, it, there's yeah. just something very inauthentic about that genre of music to me. It's also a fact country music would never survive in Nashville. Well, country music started in Nashville. Yeah. The kind of country music everybody wants to wear Johnny Cash shirts. Johnny Cash would never make it in Nashville these days. People would hate him because he's no, 
he, he, he doesn't have a drum machine behind him. He doesn't have a pop country feel. Oh, man. You we, know, everybody wants to talk about Patsy Cline, but how many of these people wearing a Patsy Cline shirt have heard, even heard of Patsy Cline? Right. Oh, you're oh, preaching now. Look at it. Oh, it's bullshit, man. It's, it's, it's total like, no, you got to be kidding me. Totally, man. Totally. You know, but, you know, the, uh, you know, Chris, are you on here? Is there any way I can see you or oh, are you just mic'd in? Oh, I'm just mic'd in. I'm I'm hanging out behind okay. the scenes. Oh. I was just wondering if I was missing a camera feed on here. I'm like, Whoa, nah, I can't. I can't switch two places at once. It'll drive me. Well, we'll talk about that one day, Anton. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so but yeah, man, there's a lot to be said for the bullshit that goes on with record labels. There is a time and place. You know, there is lots of musicians who have seen the wrong end of it and started a record label. And I've seen that be successful. You know, I could name quite a few of them, you know, and uh, I'm sure they take care of their people a lot better. You know, you think about people like Government Mule and Warren Haynes, like he owns a record label. Right. Well, whatever record label he's under, if it wasn't even his, you know, they probably got to be cool. You know, they're not cutting no radio deals. You know, they're cutting government mule style deals. Right. Right. Which is completely different because he ain't selling out stadiums. Right. You know, it's it's just kind of like what level of the music do you want to be in? And then also how much do you want to be in debt to that thing that you love? Right. That's that's what I was trying to say earlier about the about the uh, the percentage thing. So this is how it worked. Sorry to backtrack. I didn't explain it right the, the first time, and I, and I just had it. It's uh, the way Adam Durant was talking about it is that you, all right. So when you cut the record, right? Let's say five hundred thousand dollars, whatever. Here's your advance. You cut the record. You release it. Now the deal that you strike is that as the artist, you take X amount of percentages in royalties, right? So you're not. The, and the label takes a percentage of the, of the royalties and, and everything else. Now, the label is not getting paid back from their end of the percentage, right? They're getting paid back through your percentage. So if you're, take, if you're getting 10% on, on, on record sales or whatever it might be, then you got to pay the 500 grand back through that 10%. It's not the, it's not yes. the 500 grand you know, gross. It's, it's, it's through your 10% that you're paying it back. And then the interest. And then once that's paid back. So that's what Jelly Roll... Jelly Roll talks about all that. Right. And then talks about on top of that, you just touched on it, but the interest. That's not even included in what we're talking right. about. Right. You're paying on this out of your 10% that's not even coming out of your interest. Right. It's just coming out of your 10%. Exactly. So you'll never realistically, unless you continually have number one or top five songs. It's an unrealistic expectation. These days it's hard because of the way that it works. You know, like FM radio still still pays the best and it's still a viable uh, route to go. Somehow. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand it. I don't know anyone who listens to it. I don't either. Yeah. This... That I think that goes in tears as well. Yeah. From what I've heard, you know, like what tier me, you know, are you, are you know, are you a a Billy Strings or are you a Lil Wayne? Right. You know, it's like, you know, yeah, he's doing really good, but he ain't. Yeah. You know, it's one of those. You know, it's just it's kind of like what tier are you? Is as to much how much you're getting paid. Uh, we all know our level entry entry level musicians is. Nothing, you know. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to see, you know. I could have a, I could have a million streams, and I'm not going to see much at all. Right, at all for it. right, right. Because like the 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 more, like because you know, it 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 
the idea is that if you're Lil Wayne, there like your presence on the platform is bringing X amount of listeners, so we can cut yeah. you this deal on you know your streaming. Uh, on, on what percentage you're taking of, of, of the streams, you know? But if you're Joe Schmo uploading music and you had a song that just got on a playlist and it's hit and it's like, you know, 500,000 plays, like yep. you're going to get a smaller percentage per stream just because like chances are no one's coming to Spotify or Apple Music because of you, mm -hmm. right? So it's just like, it, yep. it's, it's, uh, it's, it's tricky, it's complicated. But, you know, it's, it's how business works across the board. I think musicians are... Are a sensitive bunch sometimes and we get all like like you know up in arms about how we're taking advantage of and this and that it's like yeah that does happen well it's personal yeah totally like well it's personal i mean if, if, if you're on a lawn care service then that, that's just taking care of someone's lawn it's not a song that came out of your heart and out of your head and that you are passionate about i guess that's true you know, yeah it's so personal yeah but that's the things that we that, that that's there's there's no real value in in like and your attachment to something other than what, you know, if it's selling, then there, then there's value there just because you write a song mm -hmm. and you like it and you think it has legs doesn't mean that anybody owes you anything for it. You have to go out there and like prove that there's a reason to, for, for people to buy into your brand, you know, and the music is just yeah. one part of it. So, you know, I try and look at it from every angle, like from, obviously I'm an artist, so I want to like sympathize with my peers. But I, I do think that there's a lot of like whining and a lot of like things that happen with artists where it's just like complaining about situations. It's like, okay, well then just figure out how to adapt. And it works. Yep. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, that's why I feel like there's a, you know, there's a big disconnect with a lot of musicians of, you know, you have a job. Most musicians I know, you know, have a job and then they play music. You know, it's like not a lot of people live like me and my brother did for as long as we did. You know, just but I just and the thing. Yeah, man, that was a uh, you know. It was the start of everything. You know, it, it was everything to me. It still is, man. I love my brother dearly. We don't get to play together that much, but uh, um, it was the unexpected. It was something that wasn't planned. You know, like I don't know how backstory you want to go, but I can make it real quick. You know, like, whatever you want to do. My dad, my dad bought my brother's guitars for graduating high school. Those Esteban, you know, uh -huh. on TV, the old Esteban guitar. My dad bought both of my brothers one. So they started playing. My mom and dad always played uh, uh, gospel and stuff and in church and grandparents played. And, um, I never got into it, never really got into guitar, never got into much, was really into hip hop and rap most of my life. You know, I like country music and liked all sorts of stuff, but I never listened to lyrics. I was the guy that was just there for the beat, you know, uh, just kind of whatever just caught my attention. And then. You know, one one day my dad had bought me a five dollar little Cracker Barrel harmonica, and I was like, "Why the hell would you ever waste your money on that?" Threw it in my center console of my truck, and I was doing electrical work at the time, and uh, was on my way to work and heard a Doobie Brothers song, "Long Train Running" without love, 
And I heard this bitchin' harmonica solo, and I went diving in my damn uh, center console and found that harmonica. It just happened to be a key C. Happened to be the same same thing that 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 harmonica in the song was in. So like most of the notes I hit were absolute shit, man. It, did, it sounded horrible, but a, two of them were the right note, and that was all I needed. It was like, oh man, like wow, if I could learn that, how cool would that be able to do? And so like I went home after work and bought that CD, that album, and wear it out, dude. I mean, I must have listened, rewound, and rewind that bitch two thousand times. But within a month, I had that whole solo. I taught myself it. I was 16. 16. Okay. Wow. That's all. And, and you were. There's, there's, there's videos of me as a, as a child, like walking around as a, like, I'm talking about like four or five years old, walking around playing harmonica, like just grabbing a random one that was in a house and like blowing along with my parent or my grandparents playing guitar and singing, you know, and my parents playing gospel and I guess there was something there, but now we all look at it like, Oh wow. Can you imagine? Like, at that point in your life, you were already drawn to it. Right. And you had no clue. Like, I played trumpet in band, you know what I mean? Like, there was no harmonica in my life growing up. Like, it wasn't my deal. Right. Uh, it just it just kind of fell in naturally to me. You know, I've, you know, I've always been self-taught. And once I taught myself that solo from that song, that long train running, I said, well, what the hell else can I learn? And then my brother just so had my oldest brother... My oldest brother Newsom just so happened to like get serious in the guitar, and was kind of like you know, and his his ex fiance worked at an Outback Steakhouse in Jacksonville, and one of the kitchen managers was in. Two of the kitchen managers were in a band. It was like a metal band. So she was like, you know, I know you and your brother Isaac are wanting to, you know, starting to love music, and I know these guys in a band that I work with. Like, would you all ever want to go here and practice? So we went over and like. It was the first time Newsom, you know, Newsom was like, wow, you know, and they were like, they were totally cool. They were metal, but they were like, hey, plug in. We'll teach you how to play power chords. And they looked at me and that was the first time anyone had ever been like, yo, I got this bullet mic and this amp. You should play harmonica through it. And I was like, an amp? What? You know, and it just changed everything. Okay. So then me, us and those guys ended up forming another big band and joined by our other brothers. So there was three corporate brothers in the band. It's called Southern Trouble. And uh, we ended up doing a bunch of cool stuff in Jacksonville and opening up for a bunch of bigger people and everything. But it eventually kind of uh, fell to the wayside just because of uh, different members of the band were in different standpoints. Some had kids, some didn't, you know, some, you know, it just kind of fell apart. No, like hard feelings it just happened. And uh, um, that's kind of when not too far after that, me and my brother moved up here to Murfreesboro and I was just being whored out on Broadway playing with everyone downtown and everyone promised to pay me, but no one ever paid me a dollar. And then I was playing with all the local bands here in Murfreesboro and everyone promised to pay me, but no one ever paid me a dollar. So eventually, you know, after a long time of this, Newsom was like, you know, we should probably think about starting our own shit. And I kind of laughed at him and was like, well, who the hell's going to sing? Cause you sound like shit and I don't sing. And he goes, well, me. And I said, yeah, right. And to think back on it now that people hire him just to sing on their albums, I feel like such an idiot. <laughs> but but he morphed into this singer that we never knew him as. Um, and then, I mean, you gotta think he's six, almost seven years older than me, and I was 19, so he was 28 when we moved here. Almost almost 30. 
you know, with his punk ass little brother who was like just eating and drinking and snorting everything there was. You know what I mean? It's like I was just being being wild. And uh, he came, you know, he was my pretty much caretaker, my older brother and my mentor. He was everything to me and, you know, still is. But it was one of those at the time we were just living and we were partying. And that's back when he used to drink and we were partying together. You know, it was just a party. But then we started the Corbett Brothers Band and, you know, we just, there was this bar, this old biker bar. It's funny, too, because it's crazy. Is we used to live across the street from this bar. I now live across the street from that bar again. And that was the home of the Corbett Brothers, like, for years before we, like, went out and went crazy. But, uh, um, yeah, total f- full circle. Like, insane. Um, but... Uh, yeah, dude, it was, you know, it was one of those situations where they were like, you know, we'll give y'all 50 bucks for the whole band and we'll give you free beer and we need you to play for four hours. And we were like, hell yeah. So, you know, you know, in true musician fashion, we would drink $200 worth of beer and all money. Right. But we were working at a liquor store and shit and just had little jobs, you know, and, uh, we paid for it. And eventually, man, those nights where we would play there. There's two reasons it grew. One, because it was fun and people enjoyed it. And we were playing stuff people want to hear. And two, because I was hustling so hard on Broadway. So I'm playing with all these famous bands and then other bands that weren't famous that had a big name in Nashville. So like, I'm out getting whored out because I'm one of the only people doing what I was doing at the time at my age and doing it for free. You know, everyone else, you know, was old. If you wanted a good harmonica player, they were going to be old and they were going to cost you some money. Right. So... You know, I was young from Florida doing it for free. So all these people from Nashville on their night off would drive to Murfreesboro and show up at our gigs. And then all of a sudden their fans would start coming. And all these other bands, you know, I was playing with tons of bands, like not just one or two, but 30, 40. So like all these different musicians would come in to sit in with us and they knew that it wasn't their gig so they could just get drunk and raise hell. All right, guys, this episode is brought to you by Best Buds CBD Store. If you're like me, maybe THC isn't always the right high for you. Or maybe the legal status of THC has you a bit hesitant to indulge. So at Best Buds CBD Store, they have an array of CBD and Delta 8 THC products. These guys truly care about their service, so everything is meticulously sourced and prepared to deliver a top-notch product and experience. If you head to their website, you'll find all kinds of educational information regarding Delta THC and CBD Uh, Not to mention if you use promo code BOTBPOD, that's B-O-T-B-POD, you'll save 10% on your order. This is not a one-time deal. If you use promo code BOTBPOD, every time you place an order with Best Buds, uh, it will give you 10% off. That's in perpetuity forever. So head over to bestbudscbdstore.com and start saving on all of your CBD and Delta A products. Enjoy, guys. Are you a fan of dog parks? Well, how about drinking? Because at Canine Social, you can quite literally do both. Located in Jacksonville's Riverside neighborhood, Canine Social offers both indoor and outdoor dog parks with plenty of space for your fur babies to socialize and exercise. Canine Social also has a wide array of local and regionally brewed craft beers on tap, as well as kombucha, nitro coffee, and wine if beer just isn't your thing, like me. Uh, They also offer unparalleled dog training programs with the best in-class trainers of Jet Set University and luxury boarding services as well. Be sure to head to their website at caninesocial.com to find out all the info you need to be sure you and your pup have the best experience available at Canine Social. 
All right, guys, I want to take a second to talk to you about my favorite music store in Jacksonville. This is Mock Shop Music Exchange. It's a place for true gearheads. They work with some of the most boutique pedal companies on the market, which for someone like me is super important. I love supporting smaller brands, but I also like being able to create my own unique sound. And with the variety of boutique brands these guys work with, it's almost certain you'll find that sound. They not only carry an assortment of pedals, amps, and guitars, they also offer top-notch gear repair with everyone's favorite tech, Mikey. These guys have come through for me in a pinch more than on a few occasions, and I won't spend my money anywhere else. So make sure you guys check out Mock Shop Music Exchange in the Murray Hill neighborhood of Jacksonville. You will not regret it. Super knowledgeable, amazing gear. Check it out and enjoy the experience. Anyone that listens to Isaac knows John Popper is a huge influence of mine and I uh, have no problem saying it, man. Uh, he, to me, is the wizard. Um, I remember back when I first started playing harmonica, talking to buddies of mine, and we'd be listening to the four album of Blues Traveler and, like, listening to Run Around and all these songs. And, I, you know, we used to joke, me and my old foreman, um, can you imagine one day if you could play like that? And it's kind of crazy looking back on it now that I could play it note for note, you know, maybe even and add something. Um, it's a uh, John Popper is my goat, man. He's my like Stevie Ray Vaughan for Stevie Ray Vaughan people. He's my Jimi Hendrix for the Jimi Hendrix people. You know, like he will forever. And I've had the pleasure of playing with him. And for anyone watching this, there's a cool video on YouTube. Um, just type in Isaac Corbett and John Popper. Um, Got up with him one time. That was the uh, second time I had met him. I had met him one time in Lexington, Kentucky. And I was with another band that opened up for him and uh, ended up ended up before the show. He had like a meet and greet. And my brother Newsom had walked up to him and was like, hey, my, bro my little brother Isaac's here. He's a big fan of yours. Um, and he kind of walked up to me and didn't have much time. But he was like, hey, man, do you want to hear my harmonica? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, okay, I'm going to put you in this room back here that's got a Leslie cabinet. And we're recording this show live. So if you sneeze, if you fart, if you hiccup, it's going to be on my album. And I'm going to be pissed off. He was like, so don't make don't make a sound. Because it's just going to be you, a Leslie, and a microphone in there. But if you're a real harmonica player and you want to hear what I'm doing, it's just all you're going to be able to hear is just harmonica without the band. And I was like, Done. I mean, if, who wouldn't want to sit in a room with their idols <laughs> cabinet, you know, like record live, totally, you right, know, yeah. without the band, like without, without the band, you're just harmonica feed. So like, it was crazy, man. And that towards the end, he took a little breather and I, I came out, uh, his production manager came out and like, I, I came out and I watched the rest of the show and was just like, holy shit. And then afterwards, you know, I got to like go up there and hold his mic and I, he kind of explained some stuff, but he was doing a meet and greet. Long story short, my brother walked up to him and was like, you know, oh, dude, I was so cocky. I had one of those bandoliers on of harmonicas. What an idiot. And I like walked up to John Popper, dude. My brother was like, you know, my brother's a big fan of you. You let him in there and see your thing. We got to ride out. We got to dip out. But like, you know, is there any way? And John Popper's like, well, I'm kind of in the middle of the meet and greet. And he was like, just saying, man, he's your biggest fan. Which I can still choke my brother for to this day. But he was always you know, always pushing me. So like John Popper was like, hold the meet and greet. Where's your brother? So I came out and had this bandolier of harmonicas on it. And he goes, if you had one question for me, what would it be? And I said, how the hell do you run those high notes? 
on these harmonicas. You do it so clean, but every time I do it, they mute out. And he said, what does? You or your harmonicas? I said, my harmonicas. It's not me. And he goes, oh, you got a bunch of them. Which one? And I looked down and I went, oh, that one. And he took it right off my chest. It went, he goes, hmm, sounds good. I think you need to practice. Oh, shit. And put it right <laughs> Put it right back and put it right back in my bandolier. And I just went, thank you. That, that's all I ever needed to know. Thank you so much. I hugged him and we walked away. That's hilarious, uh, like, man. I was like, someone just showed me that all my excuses was bullshit. Yeah, man. That's a very real thing for sure. For sure. But, um, you know, I, I'm curious yeah. about the genesis of this style of playing because you got guys that came before you know, like, like you got guys like, you know, like Howard Levy, right. That kind of have like the jazz and like more, you know, chromatic harp and all that stuff. And, but then you got, you know, James Cotton and then you know, kind of like more funky upbeat blues. And then you got like little Walters, more traditional Delta stuff before him. So it, it, it to me, like you can see where people are getting their influences. When, when John Popper came out and did his thing, you might know better than I do. I don't know where that style I don't know what the genesis of that style was. I don't know anybody that came. Before, John Popper. Yeah, I don't know what like what, like who sounds like that, even remotely like that on the on the harp before him. He has he had many. I mean, he had a he put out a book a couple years ago. Um, it's called uh, shit. It's called something hilarious. I forget what it is. I have it. Wait, is it right here? He gets so personal that it's uncomfortable. Yeah. Talks about like like jacking off in the tour bus and having a heart attack while he's jacking off. Oh like my god! Just random weird stuff, you know. But he's also a very eccentric, random guy. I've got the pleasure to hang out with him more than a handful of times, and uh, he's a sweetheart. But he is just, you know, he's not your conventional human being that colors inside the lines. He's an artist. Yeah, you know, he's he, yeah, he's John Popper. He's an artist. Yeah, you know. You know and a little, a little bit of backstory on him. He was actually a fan of Sugar Blue, which is, a, if y'all never heard Sugar Blue on harmonica, woo, check him out. Um, God, you want to talk about a player. But he was also a fan of multiple other people. The way I see music, and when people ask me all the time, I've been very blessed in my life, and I've done a lot of interviews and a lot of podcasts and stuff, and people always want to know the same thing you just asked. Like, what's the evolution of, like, your style? It's not one or two people. It's... 15 20 people of course yeah you, you know what i mean and, and I, when i mean that i mean like not even harmonica people not like some of its organ people some of its guitar people some of its rappers right some of its uh you know just it's it all comes from different angles so i feel like john popper and most people you know uh, Anton, who was your say top two guitar players you you listened to? Uh, pro, uh, pro, uh, growing up, uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan was probably number one, and then uh, probably uh, Jimmy Page. Okay, so that's two, but I'm sure you could name off quite a few more. Oh my, yeah, people, especially people that have inspired me more recently, yeah, for sure. So you pick and grab a little bit off of everything. Right. So when I came to Nashville as a harp player, because my harp playing was very um, like country inspired. I always liked Terry McMillan, which was Garth Brooks's uh, harmonica player, like ain't going down till the sun comes up. That harmonica solo in there is still to this day, even hard, like extremely difficult for some, even a my caliber to do. It's like, whoa, you know, um, but at the same time, I grabbed a little bit off of that. I would go to reggae bands 
and hear a reggae drummer and grab that and then grab a harmonica and it's something that not any other harmonica players were doing. That's true. I've noticed like, your style. You do have this very percussive approach from time to time. Dude, it's, it's cool. That's a drummer. Yeah. That's someone on a drum going pop, 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 pop. It's almost like a drum line thing. Totally. And it's, you know, that's what spurred the, my TikTok career. That's what like catapulted that was putting that to hip hop. And people were like, We've heard harmonica in every genre. We ain't never heard it in this. And that's why Honer called me and was like, you need to be on our team. And I was like, bitch, I've been, I've been <laughs> reaching out to y'all for 15 years. Like, I mean, I've had labels reach out. I've had like family members reach out. I've had, um, I've had investors reach out. I've had uh, like uh, PR people reach out. And everyone gets the, we're not interested, we're not interested. You know, right. It was like, you know, tick, it's TikTok that got it for me. Right. Which, you know, I'm thankful, but it's also like, wow, you know, it wasn't all the cool stuff I learned along the way or the big stages or the people I played with. You know, it was the, this day and age, it's the 10 second clip. Of course. Yeah. And you found, so, and you kind of found a real cool niche, I think, TikTok being like when you were, I mean, you still are very active on it, but like when you first started, uh, you know, utilizing the platform, it was, you know, in America, like a brand new platform almost. And then not only what was it like, you know, this untapped oil field for really any content creator at that time, but then you had this totally unique and different approach to an instrument that people don't typically know as like, you know, the average person doesn't think of the harmonica as like, like, you know, an instrument like the, like the guitar or the bass, or the drums or something. So you come in and you do this thing. And they're like, holy shit, there's like legit harmonica players in the world. You know, do you know why I hate telling people I'm a harmonica player? Why? Every other musician in the world, you know why, motherfucker. You're about to crack up laughing right now. It, dude, every, no one thinks of it as an instrument. Yeah. They're all like, oh, God dang, you play harmonica. Make sure not to get him up. Yeah. It's like, it's the it's the stigma that comes along because anyone that breathes can go, I'm a harp player. Totally. And that that is that you know, that is a big problem with that instrument is that there's so many people that just don't understand like its full capability and furthermore really take the time to learn the instrument, uh, you know, the technique and how, you know, like how it works in the context of music and all this stuff, you know? So I think that that, that is a very unique thing to that instrument where you guys have a lot of hacks that have like kind of hijacked the instrument. I feel like, unfortunately, let me just tell you though, I'm glad I'm not a guitar player. Oh man. I don't mean any disrespect, of course not. but the, 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 the cutthroat in that business to be the next best player, player, god dang, like how can you even try to create something that ain't been done? Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, it's one of those, like for harmonica, I do feel like I had a little bit of a monopoly. It's also one step further, it's kind of crazy to think that, like, I may have just created a new subgenre of music with the harp and drums. Right. Like, there was nothing ever like this before. And that was from the mouth of Honer. They were just like, you know, wow, you know, this is different. You're doing something different than anyone's ever done before that we know of. What's impressive about it so, too, man, is like the way you're paying attention to the timbre of like, so you do a lot of this stuff with uh, Greg Hersey or uh, Hershey, right? Hersey, Hershey, I say it. can't remember. Phenomenal Hersey, drummer. Hersey, yeah. Hersey, yeah. yeah Phenomenal drummer. Badass. And uh, so you've done a lot of stuff with him on TikTok and um, 
the way that you pay attention to the timbre of the drums, right? It's like you're gonna like you're gonna adjust what uh, pitch you're hitting depending on if he's hitting a snare or a tom, or if he's accenting the kick. You're gonna adjust your timbre to match that as close as you can. Mm-hmm. So you're literally playing the the harmonica like a percussion instrument, you know. Well, then I'm taking it one step further, and I'm trying to find a people pleasing uh, key. I'm a big fe- I'm a big believer in frequencies. Different frequencies put off different vibes and different moods. Um, you know, when I'm going to play with someone like Greg, I will usually uh, choose a lower key or a flat key instead of a major key. Mm. And, you know, um, the flat keys resonate more with people. And this is all analysis, dude. This is off my own videos and analysis that I've taken. I put out stuff on a major key and it will not resonate like flat keys or lower tone harmonicas. Interesting. Very interesting. So it's, it's one of those to me when people ask me all the time, like, you know, how, what is, how are you getting this success on TikTok? And to me, I, I equate it as, well, I'm doing something no one ever did. I'm not coming on here playing blues licks. Right. I'm not coming on here showing you play it out country licks. I can do it. Yeah. But like, what's the point? Everyone's done it. I'm coming on here specifically playing it to hip hop. Right. I mean, as more as I gained followers and people started requesting other songs, yeah. Now I have on there, there's not a genre of music that you could be like, you don't play this. And I'd be like, well, you ain't looked at my page. Yeah. There's hundreds of videos, but you're going to find whatever you're looking for on there. I think it's important also it, that you, because you stay true to, to, to what you do. I don't think that, you know, if you were out there trying to be like, like do the blues thing, I don't think that that would come across as authentic to you. I think that you like genuinely love the stuff that, especially when you were first starting out and just doing what you do, you know, the hip hop stuff and like, and the percussion aspect of it and trying to like figure out the place in these different genres that truly speak to you and not trying to regurgitate something that you don't truly connect with, you know? Honestly, it all kind of, I think I touched on it in a second when we first got started, but it all started with hip hop before the music was ever involved, before I ever learned a love for, for an instrument. We'll say that um, hip hop called to me more so than any other music. Um, for those who are wondering, I went to Wolfson high school in Jacksonville. You know what I mean? And, and, you know, that was a very, let's just say it's a very diverse school. You know what I mean? I wasn't someone that went to an all white school or an all this or that. Like it was very diverse, but at the same time, it was like fundamentally, I mean, you had just kids just beating on desk and moms and then other kids start rapping. And it's like, you know, growing up with that influence, it's like, it never left me. It still never leaves me. So it's like, when I think harmonica, I think like, oh yeah, the country thing's been done. Everything's been done. But like, even in my head, just in my head on a normal day, if you're like, hey, what are you thinking about? I'm like, I'm thinking about. Like there's always beats just going on in my head. Right. So, you know, hip hop's always kind of been there for me. But when I learned that I could put that to a harmonica or beatbox with the harmonica, it was kind of a game changer with me. And, it, you know, a lot of people don't know this probably about me, but like. All the stuff that I do on TikTok, you know, it's multiple takes. A lot of people think I one take this, you know, it takes me hours and hours and hours to put out these, you know, I'll do like, you know, back before I had a real job right now, I got a damn corporate job. So like, like, but that's only been for a month, but before then I had time. So I'd sit down on a Monday and put out 25 videos and put them in my drafts, but it would take me like 10 hours. Right. 
you know, of just sitting here putting out stuff, getting the right mix, getting the right take, take after take after take to where I was happy with it, song after song, video after video. And then I would put them in my drafts. And then every day I'd upload one or days that one would catch, I'd upload two. And I just followed that algorithm. But every Monday I'd trade it like a business. I'd upload 20 more. Right. And all throughout the, all throughout the week, whenever I saw somebody that I thought I could, or a video that I could like duet to, I'd save it. So then I'd go back to my save videos come Monday and I'd bust them out. And everyone's like, dude, how the hell are you keeping up with two a day? Like, that's insane. And I'm like, well, I dedicate a full day. It's like meal prep. Right. You dedicate a full day to cooking so that you don't have to worry about cooking the whole rest of the week. That's it's, a, There's no different. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, no, you got it. That's what I'm saying. It's no different. Yeah, that's, that's the whole thing that I think people don't really understand about. Or, I mean, I think a lot of people do understand, but I think that, you know, people that don't understand about the backlogging the content thing, you know, it's like that's a real thing. People aren't just spending every waking hour on social media. Like people are taking a day, two days, and they're backlogging things, you know, for months at a time sometimes. And then that way, you know, the work is done for three months and then you go back and, and it's cool that you've been able to, I've tried to do the same discipline thing. I'm terrible with, especially with TikTok, just because it's so demanding with how often you upload. So like- Well, TikTok, I've been inspired because right. of what TikTok has offered me. Right. I'm now making money off TikTok. I got America's Got Talent calling me off TikTok. Really? I've gotten a honor sponsorship off TikTok. I got people wanting studio work off TikTok. I want people, there's people just wanting to like pay to chat with me off TikTok, just to hang out with me like like this. It, TikTok has brought so much to my attention that I never dreamed would happen because the Facebook and Instagram algorithms are trash. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a Chinese-owned company. And, yeah, they're stealing all my information. And they're reading every text message I send. And they have my biometrics. And they know every picture that's ever been on my phone and my location. Dude, if you actually re read the user agreement for TikTok, oh, it's they so violate invasive. every... Yeah. Every U.S. rule they have violated. That's why the United States keeps wanting to ban it because, like, they are taking everything off you. Right. But at the same time, they're the only one who's ever actually showed me love, which is like this weird. Uh, I never got this love from Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, none of it. Vine, nothing. Yeah. But now all of a sudden, this company has got me. You know, I have people emailing me in French and Chinese, and I have to translate it because they're getting people all around the world that are just like, I love you. I, f I found you on TikTok. You're wonderful. It's like, Facebook never did that. Yeah. Well, the, you know, they're, they're such different uh, platforms, too, in the way that they operate. Like, you know, Facebook is a closed network. So, you know, people are like they, they're not really actively seeking out content on Facebook. They're trying to shift that. They're doing reels now on Facebook and stuff. But like Facebook right. is like, you know, here's your friends. Here's your echo chamber. Stay here. And that's basically it. It was kind of like like a like a, a, a revitalized version of MySpace, you know, which is a closed network and that. So, and then you have, you know, Instagram, which is much more of an open network and uh, you know, people seek out content on Instagram and, and all that stuff. But it got, it's at this point, it's so saturated, you know, and then uh TikTok came up with this new thing where it was like, you got these short clips and you go through and the way the, the algorithm works, it, you can literally have zero followers and just get discovered, you know, because it shows your videos yeah. to people. And that's just, yep. you know, uh, what, whatever uh, downside there is to, to being a Chinese owned company, uh, they've definitely figured out how uh, Americans work. <laughs> and uh, and we like being discovered. Down, 
You are totally right. You just hit that on the head. They have figured it out how Americans work. They want to American who doesn't have much to offer to the internet to go pencil. Right. And now you have a thousand followers. You have right. a thousand followers because a thousand people loved that you went pencil. It's it's something that would never get two likes on Instagram or Facebook. You know what I mean? It's it's a they've found a way to make you feel special. Right. Right. So when someone that's not used to feeling special feels special, they're going to spend their waking, every waking moment on it. Totally. It's as simple you know, as like just making the algorithm work in a more chronological way, right? It's not so much about like Instagram has all these crazy, you know, ways to cater your page to see this and see that. And TikTok, you know, you can get there too. But at the end of the day, it just operates in a more chronological fashion. If someone uploads a video at this time and then you upload a video, just like right after that in a similar category, people that are into that thing are just going to see it. That's just what it is. Yes. Instagram might most likely won't, won't do that for you. You know, it's not going to, and you're not going to get people like, you know, uh, someone from, uh, I mean, it's how I, I just throw out of country France. And that's my second reference to French, but like someone from France will share my video. That's famous. Now all of a sudden I get thousands of comments all in French. Someone from China will share my video, and I don't know about it. I just wake up the next day and be like, "Damn, I got nine thousand followers last night. That's crazy." Yeah, and it's but it's like someone shared it, and all those comments are all Chinese, and then someone will share it from Bolivia, and it's like it, you know it just it escalates and escalates, and I'm like, all of a sudden I really do feel like I'm getting worldwide, like I never did on Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat or Vine or YouTube. They suppress it, suppress it. Yeah, you're going to have a bunch of Americans going, oh, that sounds great. But if they're really putting it out there, why are there not Australians and Chinese people and, and people from every nation? Why are they not commenting on my videos? You know, I commend, you know, TikTok, you know, for this. You know what I mean? It, it almost gives people like me and you, I could go to Europe right now or I could go to Bangkok and probably do a gig and have people there to see me because of TikTok. Right. Which is nuts. Right. This, this shit don't happen on Facebook. And then, like, you'd have to be posting in a, you know, it just, it just doesn't It doesn't happen. work in the same. Yeah, it's just not the same kind of platform, you know. And, uh, it's and it's interesting because it's like, you know, there's all this hate from especially the older generation with TikTok. And also it's like, and to me, I feel like, okay, there's the argument to be made for, you know, the, the data stealing and all that stuff. Um, I can buy that. However... I also don't think it's as like mindless and dumbing down as the older generation makes it seem because like, you know, if you grow, if, if you're younger, especially a teenager, early twenties, and like you're, you're coming up with this platform, like, you know how to navigate it better than this older generation does. So to them, they don't know how yeah. to use it. So they see all dumb shit, but these kids are using it and they're seeing not dumb shit because they know how to utilize the platform to work in their favor. Mm -hmm. And furthermore, they're learning how to create you know, some of the content on TikTok is obviously because you create a lot of it. It's like it's good content. It's actually like it can be yeah. informative. It can be hilarious. It can be talent. It can be whatever. But, it, you know, if you're proactive on the platform, then you can really cater your feed to be like whatever you want it to be. It doesn't have to be stupid dances and just mindless bullshit, you know. That's why it's so addicting. Yeah, I know. Tell me about it. It plays to your it plays to your it plays to your interest. You know what I mean? Like if 
you just everything you said is 100 correct they play to your interest but at the same time isn't that what you want that's what you want out of a social media that's why they're getting so famous and that's why you know i think australia just banned them india just banned yeah. uh just banned tiktok yep a bunch of people just because it's invasive but at the same time you know uh i don't know what the <laughs> i'm not gonna say i no one knows what the chinese intent is right you know the chinese government the regime itself you know like that's a whole different ball game. I mean, if they got some little AI running around with my fingerprints over there, then like, I don't know, I don't, you know, whatever, you know, it is what it is. But at the same time, I've also getting a lot of love. Um, I do want to circle back real quick. There's yeah. something, I, there's someone, I, there's someone I really have to mention uh, when it comes to the world of harmonica, uh, the best player I know, and one of my best friends, and he's been a, massive influence in me and back when i used to not be able to play like john popper he was the one who necessarily taught me how to play like john popper his name is gregory homert h-o-m-m-e-r-t uh anyone listening you can look him up on youtube uh tiktok definitely he i just got him to get on tiktok in my opinion he is the greatest harmonica player in the world bar none hands down really so so in the harmonica community have you ever heard of jason ricci oh yeah of course so Jason Ritchie just put him on a Jason Ritchie's podcast and said Gregory is the best. Literally, the title was best harmonica player in the world, Gregory Homer. Wow. And he just that's what Jason Ritchie called him. Like, come on. Yeah. Jason Ritchie, for those of you who are watching this that don't know, in the harmonica world, he is one of the most well-known, worldwide well-known players as far as like classical jazz fusion uh country rock any any way you go that guy tears it up and i would love for you to look him up but if you're going to go looking up people you should look up gregory homer because he's the underdog he's the one that has been everyone's friend and taught everyone their stuff but never got the recognition uh so i i can't honestly say i'd be the player i am today without greg i mean it's just straight up if i didn't mention him it'd be a travesty because it's bullshit when I came to when I first came to Tennessee and I met him, um, was playing in a bar in Nashville downtown, and someone said, "You got to come play this harmonica player." Well, as a harmonica player in this town, you know that's almost a direct threat. <laughs> it's like, oh well, there are only three of us here, so like, there's another one, right? You know, you know, it's not like guitar players, you know. So it was kind of like one of those like I walked in and heard this guy play and immediately put my harmonicas back in my pocket and walked back outside. No shit. Yeah, I can't. Uh, I don't even want to play next to this guy. Everyone <laughs> pushed us. I everyone pushed us on stage and pushed me up there. And we finally got on stage together. And I was shitting bricks. And I played, and he dumbed it down and played with me, because he didn't want to be a dick and blow me out of the water in front of everyone. That's such a uh, a cool thing that like true seasoned musicians do. You know what I mean? I think that like I've I've been. I've had the pleasure of playing with some guys, especially coming up, that that offered me that courtesy. Then I had guys, as I'm sure you've had, on the other end of the spectrum that were just like, oh, yeah. ate, like cut your fucking head off up there. <laughs> You're just like, say, like, all right, what, what do we do? Are we trying to like create a thing or are we just trying to show, you're trying to show everybody here that I suck? What's happening right now? You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> so it's cool to find musicians that like can utilize that kind of restraint, you know? I was definitely used to the latter here in Nashville. I was used to the older cats that were like, shut down, shut up and listen. Right. You know, and we're trying to like make you feel small. Um, when I met this guy, it was very different. He played from his heart. You never saw him play with his eyes open. He was eyes were closed and he was just like in his own world. But his world was 
guitar players, organ players, everyone's watching him like, did he just play that? Yeah. Like, he's not a conventional player. He's nothing like me. You know what I mean? Like, he showed me who, how to be kind of where I wanted to be. But uh, he's just one of those players, man. He's, uh, uh, like I said, even, you know, if John Popper got the chance to sit down with him, John Popper would be like, ooh, good Lord. You know, same as Jason Ritchie calling him, you know, one of the greatest harmonic players in the world. Um, Howard Levy could sit down with this guy and would be like, wow. So what he's getting into now, and I've been pushing him into it, and thank God he's reluctant because I said, you know, when it comes to harmonica, he was kind of disparaged on TikTok and stuff because he's like, man, you're already crushing it. There's not enough room, you know, to harmonica players as far as doing what you're doing. And I said, yeah, but you're not a hip hop player. Do what you do is rack. This dude now is putting out rack of him playing guitar and harmonica at the same time. Oh, yes. I've seen you share this guy. Yes, that's the dude I'm talking about. Okay. And he's doing like like Django Reinhardt gypsy jazz, extremely difficult, extremely jazz, like on the harmonica, like overblows and overbends and this crazy shit that I don't even know how to do. He's doing and a like, diatonic he, harp? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And he makes harmonicas and he sets them up. And he dude, he's just like one of those guys. But he's also a family man with 500 kids. <laughs> and... uh full-time job you know very successful dude but uh uh i couldn't do this podcast without mentioning him and and, and giving a little backstory because uh every time i feel like i tell everybody you know i'm self-taught i am self-taught i don't know how to read music but at the same time whenever i run into a pickle still till this day if i get into a studio and someone's asking for something and i'm like i will immediately call him and he'll either be like i'm gonna send it to you broke down note for note help you out or Tell him to call me <laughs> because at that point I would gladly be like, yo, I know you love me, but this is past my caliber. You know what I mean? Uh, if you want someone that's a, above me, you need to call this guy because there's just certain stuff that people want in, you know, especially I'm not a jazz dude. I don't I hit overblows. There's certain runs that people want to be note for note. And I am the epitome of fake it till you make it. Like yeah. I will make a note and I'll bend up to it to make it sound right, but it's not the actual note. Right. So, um, That's, you know, this this dude, Greg, showed me there's 19 positions on a harmonica. He said, I can take a C harmonica or any harmonica and play every position for you, every scale, every major and minor pentatonic scale, every mode I can play for you on any harmonica. And if I could, he's the kind of guy who could show up to an Anton show and play the entire show on one harmonica. That's awesome. I think that's, I think that's like, you know, to me, that doesn't seem super far fetched, you know, because like first off, I, I'm not saying that it's not that that it's easy, but just like as far as like what the capabilities of the harmonica are, right? If somebody truly understands how to manipulate the instrument, then you can yeah. make it do whatever you want it to do because there is bending and there is like hitting these notes that shouldn't really exist on the harp if you know how to manipulate the instrument, you know. And uh, well, no, you you also have to tune the instrument to be able to do that. Oh, really? Yeah, you can't take a stock harp and just go fuck you know, just go blasting out uh overbend. Like I could. I could I could make one that would be like half overblow. Or you know, but these guys set up their harmonicas to where they can 
they they file they file their reads down and retune them so what, so that they can do that. So you want like a thinner read, I would imagine, to to be able to manipulate it more. Or like, how does it work? Uh, you want like an uh, I, I forget if it's embossed or debossed. I'm pretty sure it's called an embossed read. So uh, hold on one second. I think I got a replay right here. I got a replay right here. Um, you know the. I don't know how much people know about harmonicas. Um, yeah, we're definitely getting in baseball here. <laughs> yeah, okay. So it, it's one of those things where harmonicas have a, a top read plate and a bottom read plate. Each read has, uh, each plate has 10 reads on it. They're paper thin, like paper thin pieces of brass. When those vibrate, you get a tone. So when you blow out, it vibrates the top ones. You draw in, vibrates the bottom ones, right? They're faced opposite ways. That's how they have different tones, you know? So, um, on the harmonica, you can take these reeds and you can, the gap between the reed and the reed plate itself is usually like, you could get a piece of paper in between it. You can get like a, like a sticky note and easily slide it between it. Right. Now these guys are making it to where you couldn't even slide a piece of paper or receipt paper. Oh, okay. It's so close to the reed plate. There's no air getting in. Even though it's the it's the most minuscule amount of air, it's the biggest difference in the world on a harmonica. Right. So they're they're they're, they're taking these reeds and they're setting them up, and some of them have to be filed down or retuned or whatever. But like you know, for the most part, they're they're setting what they call it setting a harmonica up, just like you're setting up a guitar. Um, you you know, if you get a nice good guitar, then you would take it to someone and say, hey, set this up for me. Right. Right. Um, it's the same, no different with a harmonica guru. Like, okay. Hey, Set these harmonicas up for me to do overblows. Oh, that's what you want to do overblows? Gotcha. You know they'll be back to you in three weeks. But they read, they manipulate these re these reads, um, for sure. You're not going by. That's why John Popper, blues traveler, he never messes with overblows, and I don't mess with overblows. Uh, like I said, I like I I would rather the fake it till you make it route. You know, then I guess I'm lazy musician. I no, it's it. no, I don't think that's what it is. I think I just think that there's like you know, I mean. To say lazy, because I, I don't like that term because like there are people that are lazy, but I have a similar thing where it's like, I just don't want to do it that way. I can accomplish it doing it my way and I'm an artist and that's what that's. So this is how I'm going to do it. Right. So it's like, it's just, it's just a matter of having your own twist on it. Um, now, when you say overblow, what are you talking about? Okay. So, uh, hmm. I'm trying to find one. I have someone around somewhere around here. I have one that he set up for me. Okay, so this is an A, an A standard A major harmonica. Right. It's in uh, a Honer Rocket, which is the new set. Um, anyone that's going to play harmonicas, if y'all are thinking about it, got a shout out to Honer in here. Honer Rockets are the newest, the ones that I could not afford that they so kindly gave me a set. That's awesome. Um, yeah, they've you know have been. Above and beyond for me since they got me on the team. But uh, so an overblow is what we call the ghost note. So on a 10-hole diatonic harmonica, which is every standard harmonica without a slide. If it has a slide on it, it's a chromatic harmonica. It's right. what Stevie Wonder and those kind of people play. You can hit the slide and you can hit the note. If you don't have a slide and you just have a harmonica, you don't have, the, I'd say, two notes, maybe four notes. That will not be there. Now, if you want to get into overbends and all that crap, there's way more notes. But they're called ghost notes. It's trying to complete a scale on this harmonica. There's going to be, you're going to be missing a note. Right. But 
I'm pretty sure, don't get me wrong, but I'm pretty sure Howard Levy was the pioneer for this. I think someone before him might have discovered it, but Howard Levy made it known to the world that you can take, say, the sixth blow and blow in it and pivot the harmonica and put your jaw backwards like over, so like an overbite. Uh... And you can skip the top read and play the bottom read in a way that it's not supposed to be played, but will be the ghost note that you're missing. Mm, interesting. And it is not easy to do. It's not easy. Cause like, I, I'll even try to do it. That, that's the ghost note. So here's the six boat. That's me bending up to where it mutes the top one and grabs the bottom one and pulls it the different direction than it would be. Because when I breathe in six, that's the one that, that that's the note it's hitting. When I breathe out, God. when I overbend. I can't fucking hear it right so, now because Zoom's cutting it out, but we'll be able to hear it on the playback. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, you'll be able to hear it on the playback, yeah. but uh, it's the ghost note. And uh, there's a lot of people who are proficient. Jason Ritchie can play them like just like butter, like like Greg Homer and Howard Levy and all these people can just sit there and, just, and play these overboats in that. Somehow, I mean, it blows my mind. And, you know, people are always asking me like, oh, you're the best. You're the best. Who do you listen to? And I'm like, I am not close <laughs> to the best. I have found a way to make people like something that they never knew they liked. You know, I've found a way to make harmonica cool to younger people mm -hmm. because I'm integrating it with what they're listening to. Right. But all these younger people are like, my granddaddy, my great granddaddy, my daddy, my great, my grandma. There's always a grand or a great grand attached to it when it comes to it's a sentimental thing for people. You know, someone in their family that was probably old as dirt used to play a harmonica. And it means something to them. Right. So now they're scrolling TikTok and hearing it getting played to Lil Wayne and getting played to drum sets and played to all this different type of stuff. And they're like, oh, man, that's pretty cool. I mean, you don't see people playing harmonica very much. So within that, I've been putting out how-to videos. I've had thousands of comments of people like, hey, I went and bought a harmonica because of you. That's awesome. So I'm sure Honer, I'm sure Honer sees this and they're like, oh, okay, well. At some point, you know, this guy's in here hustling for us. <laughs> you know, oh, 100%. Like, like, yeah. One way or the other. But um, that's what I mean by the, by the uh, by overblows is, is, is the ghost note. It's, it's muting a top note that you're blowing into. It's grabbing the bottom one underneath it, uh, underneath it and it's playing it backwards. Now, which note is Total. that? Do you know which note that is in the scale? No. No. Uh, okay. nah, uh, no. See, if Gregory were on here with me, he'd be able to be like, you're an idiot. This is what it is. <laughs> if I could hear it, I could tell you what it is. I just, I just, uh, right now, I can't hear it on the Zoom playback, but I'll go back and listen yeah, to it and see. Yeah. I'm, 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 glad, I'm glad we're recording this. Yeah, for I'm sure. I'm glad we're doing that because, you know, without it, it's, you know, it is we'll, what it we'll is. We'll just edit the name and post the little note name on the top of the perfect, screen. Perfect, perfect. Yeah. Um, now, uh, there's a, so I played with a harmonica player for about a year. I did a I'm bunch sorry. of. Uh, yeah, t tell me about it, bro. <laughs> Uh, I've toured with him for about a year. Uh, we toured, you know, all over the country, Canada and all that. It was great. It was fun. Um, he, this guy, his name's Rockin' Jake. And, uh, he, uh, 
I always admired him because number one, I mean, he was a great mentor for me musically. He was one of those guys that like, you know, told me what I needed to hear in the rudest way possible that made me like step my game up to do the thing and to play in his band and all that stuff, you know, especially he's like a blues traditionalist when he's playing that style, not, he doesn't always play that style. When he does play that style, he wants it played like that style. There's no deviation, you know? So, Guys like that hate me. <laughs> well, I will say, I don't, I don't, he's never expressed one way or the other uh, to me how he feels about you, but I, I can tell you that he's not a fan of John Popper. <laughs> um, yeah, but, he's definitely not a fan <laughs> of me. <laughs> um, but I've, I admired him so much because he was this guy that kind of came from a blues background, but he's so melodic and so like musical when he's playing the instrument. He could play... Like, you know, we would do like these jazz standards from time to time and he would play the melody lines and take these just beautiful, like melodic and just heart wrenching solos. I mean, I've seen people cry, you mm. know, and it's he's not yeah. the most technical guy on the planet. He can like, you know, I, I don't know how technical you it is. Right, exactly. You know, like he 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 bends notes and he can do some weird tricky shit. Like he's, he's got some tricks up his sleeve. But for the most part, he is just like... Get, I've never he sings. He sings. He sings through his harmonica. And he never yeah. and I've never I never saw him phone a gig in, man. Like he always sounded amazing. There was never a night whether there was nobody there or or a million or you know, a hundred people, two hundred people, a thousand mm -hmm. people, or whatever personal shit was going on. When he got on that stage, he gives it yeah. everything. And I just always thought yeah. that was so he was the first guy that and he's the one who turned me on to like, you know, Jason Ritchie and like, you know, all these other uh, like heart players. And I was just like, yep. yeah, so it was just, it, it was like a, it, it was a cool experience to play with him. And he, I still, he's still. I need to look this guy up. Shoot, I don't know nothing about him. He's a South Florida guy. Um, he's, 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 he lived in New Orleans for a long time, did the New Orleans thing, but he lives in South Florida now. Um, and he's, uh, he's, you know, a heavy touring blue, uh, blues guy. Can I take like a, a two second bathroom break real quick? Yeah. You know, we like to drink. Uh, speaking of that, can we have a little cheers real quick? Absolutely. I've been sipping on this bourbon all night. Oh, you've been sipping over here. Oh, I've been not sipping, that's for sure. Been... Turns out these beers are more like Capri Suns. You know, like two sips and they're gone. <laughs> I feel that. Cheers, homie. Cheers, bro. Hell yeah. Hey, that goes for you too, Chris. You got to hydrate. He didn't hear you. He doesn't have his headphones on yet. Oh, bless his heart. <laughs> hey, watch that bless your heart shit. I'm back in the game. I just... Oh, uh, he's <laughs> back there. I, I just, Don't make me get the blues. <laughs> I just found out that bless your heart is Southern for fuck you. Is that real? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Big time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, it's half real. It's... Well, let's see. Yeah, it's pretty it's condescending seven, at, at least, right? 70... 75% real because there's those like, oh, bless his heart. And then there's also like, I don't know. You see like this little kid who's just not doing good with the wrong, you know, not in a good space. And it's like, oh, bless his heart. It's like, you don't mean fuck you to that kid. It's like in like it, genuine, like, oh, man, bless his heart. Like sucks. He's in that position. I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. I think it goes two different ways. It depends on how you are. You saying it sarcastically, then it's a fuck you. Right. It's like the it's like the word fuck. Right. For someone moving to America, that word can mean fuck yeah, fuck you. We're fucking. Fuck means everything. 
Right. You know what I mean? So it's like right. someone learning the English language is like, what does this word mean? I feel like that's bless your heart. It has many meanings depending on how you say it. Gotcha. That makes sense. Context is everything. But, uh, well, I heard how you said yeah. it, so watch your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The way I said it was definitely, I need to watch my mouth for sure. <laughs> uh, but back to your dude, man. Uh, that's a, I'm glad you had that player that turned you on to hard players and good people like Jason Ritchie and a bunch of other people. I'm sure you've heard of Kim Wilson from Shady South yep. Florida, dude. Oh, yeah. Um, there's a bunch of good players, man, that never really, uh, I, uh, hmm, how do I say this without, uh, getting hate mail? Um, I'm glad I'm not a blues player. Oh. I'm glad I don't have the stigma. I'm glad I'm not on the blues circuit. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's a very, hmm, once again, uh, I'll say it for you, bro. <laughs> I'll say yeah, it for go, you. Go ahead. You go get, ahead. Did you, you know it? You get, you get fucking, you get stuck in that grind, man. You never leave it. And that, yeah. that becomes the only thing that you do. You will always be it's playing bars. Yep. That's it. Always going to be playing yep. bars. The, I mean, I know a couple of guys from South Florida that are doing really well right now. Uh, you know, shout out to Albert Castilla, who was uh, an early, uh, somebody who, you know, helped me coming up early on. Um, and he's just had a record produced by Joe Bonamassa and he's doing well. Right. But he is so the exception to the rule in that world, you know, mm. and Joe Bonamassa is the exception to the rule. These guys end up selling out, you know, big theaters and, uh, and, you know, headlining blues festivals. These are, if, if reaching the top tier in the music industry is, nearly impossible uh blues makes it even more impossible than that because there's no it's it's a dying uh genre number one number two uh it's so specific true. yeah it's it's, it's it's i love blues it's where i got my start I, but i also like Same. did the fucking blues circuit in south florida for a long time and then i i came here i refused it you, it's and that's probably a good move you know i mean the, there's a lot of good stuff to come from it like, you know, as far as you go to the jams, you get your chops up, you learn standards and like you can, you know, you learn how to like, you know, play and, and, and cut your teeth playing in clubs and the grimy, smoky bars and the whole experience. It's a good experience. I think that people should like, you know, have that experience at the same time, you got to have an exit strategy because you will, yeah. you will get stuck. It's literally the reason why I left South Florida. It was like, if I don't leave here, I'm going to be stuck playing this genre for, for the rest of my be. life. Yeah, 100%. You would still be there right now, probably playing I'd a damn blues gig. I'd still be playing with Rock and Jake, 100%. And no offense, I love Rock and Jake. One of my big, like, again, like a huge mentor for me. And uh, still to this day, I talk to him and we give each other shit all the time. It's great. Um, however, I needed to do something else, you know, creatively and otherwise. Yeah. It's just, it was time to move on, you know. It's a, it's, a, it's a rough circuit, man. I feel like people find that circuit and the people that do well in that circuit will ride that forever and that's their claim to fame and good on you. Yeah. Because you got to be good to get up good in that circuit. But at the same time, that's your cap. Totally. It's like having a, sal it's like having a salary job. Yep. Well, this yep. is what you're going to make. It is. You ain't, we're going to work you to death and you ain't never going to make this. You're just always going to make that. It is. the. And it's like. Sorry, go ahead. Well, no, I think we're saying the same exact thing. Yeah, 100%. You know, it, it is that 
genre of music, you know, where you can reach a cap and you're never really going to grow. And if you do grow, you're going to be shunned by the community. Yeah. Yeah, totally, man. I, you know, uh, and it's, it's 100% the blue collar grind of the music industry, you know, like it's, it's, it's a doc job. You know what I mean? It's, it's hard. You're out there, you're making, you're, you're getting by, but it's like not, you know, it's, it's, it's a hard life, man. Those guys, but they love it because that's what gives them the inspiration for the music. A lot of them, you know, like they say they don't, they say they want more, but they, but they want it. They stay there. They do the thing. And, you know, I, I've noticed similar things even, and this is going to get me in trouble because this is a scene that a lot of us op- <laughs> operate Here we in. go. Uh, you know, I feel the same way about the jam scene. I'll cheers to this one. I'm going to need this one. Yeah, you go ahead and cheers <laughs> to this one. If we're going to get in trouble for it, might as well drink with it. 100%. Um, I feel the same way about the jam scene in some respects, you know. Um, I, I, you know, Jacksonville as, as, a, as a scene and a community has been so good to me. I love this town. I love the jam scene. I love like everything that I've been able to accomplish just being in the city. It's just been amazing. Right. Um, I do feel though that when people start to break away from, from what the uh, expectation is a little bit, you know, people want their hometown heroes. That's what they want. When you, when, when you stop, when you start to leave the hometown and you're no longer like, like theirs, they, there's like a, a yep. part of them that you lose as an artist because they're like, well, you're, you're on bigger and better things now. You're doing this. You're doing that. You don't show up to the jams anymore. You don't do this. You're, like, you're not playing the bars anymore. It's like, and you know, from my perspective, I'm always like, well, yeah, at some point you got to stop doing those things. Right. But then from the, I get from the fans perspective, the supporters uh, perspective, like wanting to keep this thing like so magical and close to them. It's their little hidden secret, but man, what a, what a hard life for an artist to, to succumb to. You know what I mean? Do you find that man, at all? That... Oh God dang. Um, never with us. Um, we, we wouldn't give a town long enough. Right. We, we had this, we had this sense of if we're in a town longer than two weeks, we, we've spent too long. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, that's why the Court Brothers and everyone wanted to hate on me, uh, for sure, because I was unreliable and I was always on the road, because me and my brother were always on tour. We never stopped. That's why I'm saying we lived in an RV for a decade straight with no address. Like, we just always toured. I, I call it getting irrelevant or getting too relevant. It equals irrelevant. Right. So all of a sudden you move to a town, you're doing good in that town. People start coming out. They love your shit. You have all of a sudden the next couple of times you come in, there's twice as many people there. The bar owners are happy. But then all of a sudden, you know, hey, let's stick around here. Oh, you start seeing your crowd dwindle after a year or two. You, all of a sudden, it's not so easy to pack the crowd. And all of a sudden the bars aren't so happy. And it's like. You know it. I know it. We've all known it. We've all seen it. It's what I like to call beating a town to death. I don't believe in it. No matter what genre of music you are, you should keep your feet moving. Yeah. If you want to tour, then don't call yourself a touring musician that plays seven nights in your own town. You're not touring musician. Do people do that? You need to be. uh, People say no. I've just that's wild to me that people would call themselves touring musicians and they're just playing seven nights a week yeah, in, just, in one town. That's yeah. wild to me. Yes, but they'll be playing different bars in one town, but they're a touring musician because they are technically on tour from different bar to bar. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's easy for me and you to laugh at them, but it, but at the same time, in their mind, you know, they're you know, it's their level of you know uh, success or whatever it is. You know, it, it means something different to everybody. Sure. You know? Some people are driven on money and fame. Some people are driven on experience. Some people are driven on uh, uh, meeting friends and other people. Some people are driven on just the love of being on the road and they don't even care about the music. They just want to be driving and seeing landscape. You know, it's something different for everybody. Sure. Yeah. But for the bands that get complacent, they do what the Cardinal sin and what we grew up with the core brothers. You had beaten a town to death. Get the fuck out of that town. Leave. So if you ever start feeling like it's oversaturated, it's because there's too many people that won't leave. You know what I mean? And then that's also, you know, I've seen it happen in Jacksonville. I'm going to name no names because it's happened to me too. You know, like you, you, you get the following, you get what you want, then it leaves. I've moved to Tennessee, had the following, then it leaves. You go here, have the following, then it leaves. The only way to really make that work is to never show up everywhere every other month. Yeah, totally. And not, it- not even once a month, every other month. Sure. And then have other towns you hit in in between. So at first, it might seem to a band who's starting out, like, how the hell do you do that? Well, you reach out. No one's ever going to call you. Yeah, ever, of course. ever, ever. You have to call them. So first off, for people who are listening right now, wondering why no one's calling you, it's because they're not. No matter how good you are, they're not going to call you. Right. You know, unless you have a label making calls for you. Ah. So you have to call them and put in the initiative and the work and the hustle and the send contracts and... You know, if you don't know what a contract is, you write one up. You look at a template on Google for a typical band contract. You know, like find something, make sure your money's right, make sure you allot for traveling, make sure you allot for lodging and whatever you're doing, but tour. Get out of your town because if someone likes you in your town, that means someone's going to like you in all the towns. Right. It's just a matter of finding those people. So it's like you have to tour. There's too many people that beat a scene to yeah. Well, I it's just like, you know, there's there's a big distinction that we always make a lot on this show is like the difference between being a cover band and like an original band. You know, it's like you look at if it's it's quite simple when you look at how it all works. It's like you have bar bands that, uh, you know, stay in town and they do their thing. And like the expectation, if the bar has an expectation of you bringing a crowd, that's insanity and that bar is going to fail, right? If you're, yep. if you're a cover band playing locally, you know, five nights a week, whatever it is, like that's not your job. If you're an original band, you need to create, you need to create brand awareness, get people to come out to your shows. At some point, you got to start selling tickets. You need to, and then, uh, and then you hit those markets, you know, uh, once, like you're saying, every other month, every couple, once you start getting more established, less and less and less, and then you see your favorite bands out there doing what they're doing, and they're hitting markets once a year, you know, and like that's, and then that's it, you know, it's, it's like also cater to your crowd. Yeah. Ask your fans, find out who they're listening to. Right. I mean, I'm not saying be a total rip, but rip. You're already ripping whoever's your influence on your instrument. Yeah, man. So, yeah. So, it's like, you know, when it comes to it, what is your fan base? Okay, we like J.J. Graham Mofro. Well, cool. Maybe we should write a couple songs more like, kind of like that. Right. It's. I mean, not saying to rip them, but just take the influence of whoever whoever is your people. What are y'all listening to? Ask them. Be one with your fans. Like, get off stage and don't take pictures and just be like, hey, you know what? When you're not here, who do you listen to? Write that shit down. Look them up. 
figure out what they're listening to and and honestly like write songs towards it or cover songs from the obscure bands that people aren't listening to. Totally. You know, if if you're going to cover everyone knows a cover band's going to do it. I could name off your song list for you. Wagon Wheel, Tennessee Whiskey, fucking Come on. Yeah. <laughs> At the same time though, that's the Court Brothers shit. We would do it all for you. We do Freebird for you. Girl, you going to put $100 in there? Come out. Yeah, yeah. Like it, it's like we didn't care. It was it was is the stigma was like not a stigma, you know, like Songs are overplayed because they're good songs. Right. Usually. The Wagon Wheel, when it first came out, it's a catchy ass song. A great song. It yeah. is it is what it is. It's a really good song. It was written well and it was performed well and it did well. Absolutely. But then it got overplayed to a point of like bars like you will not play Wagon Wheel. You will not play Freebird. We tomorrow will not play Freebird. Like that is one of the hardest, most crazy, intricate, like fuel testosterone driven songs there is, man. Like yeah. It's a fucking hard song to do to do right. It's a banger too. To say, People love it. You yeah, know? it's a banger, but it got overplayed. Yeah, and it's in all every movie and every soundtrack and every everything. So it's like people are like, "Oh, song sucked." No, it didn't. It got so good that it sucked. Like that's a that's a hell of an achievement. Yeah, totally. You know, I would love for one of my songs to be so good that it sucked because I'd be swimming in the money. Every musician can sit here, and I'm one of them. I I, I get on my my Freebird hate. Uh, bandwagon as well uh however every musician that's hating on songs that are that iconic just wish that they wrote a song that iconic and that's what it boils down i to. mean straight <laughs> up dude straight it's like, up. <laughs> it's it's but yeah i mean i i definitely feel what you're saying you know this industry is so reliant on on what other people think about what you're doing right like your entire career depends on other people liking what it is that you're doing. So to your point about, you know, even if you're not doing the cover band thing, like where, where you are writing music and stuff, I think it is important to like know what your fans are listening to, like who are, who are their favorite bands. Right. Uh, and like, yeah. and find out like, okay, well, if that's the direction we want to go, let's maybe obviously don't like you're saying, don't bite what they're like, like their songs, but like maybe write within that genre and see if you yeah. can kind of create something that they're going to enjoy it on the same level. Like that's, it's, it's just market research. It's, it's literally what it is. And then you start to tailor your product uh, to uh, what your fans want. And then you will hopefully see more of them and they will be more supporters and they'll tell their friends and then their friends come mm -hmm. out. And it's a whole thing. But like you got people that have this like chip on their shoulder about, about like succumbing to what uh, their supporters want. It's like, you got to get over yourself because this is, we are in, in the service industry at the end of the day, you know, hey, Anton bless their little hearts. Yeah. <laughs> I'm learning so much hanging out with all my Southern friends now. Bless their little Dude, hearts. You have to realize at a certain point, bless your little heart. Yeah. If you're going to be so mad about it and you're going to be so angry about it and aggro about it, why everyone else is successful and you're not look around. Totally, man. Be humble. Take a humbling lesson and realize that, like, yeah, you might be good at what you do. A, you're not putting yourself out there enough. You're not treating it. Okay, no, I'm not going to say that because that's going to be on my next point. B, you're not treating your band like a business. Right. There's a whole different deal. Successful bands usually did not just someone saw them. Right. That's like 70s shit. Right. Maybe 80s shit, but turns the 90s, it started, that even changed. Internet came along, all that's out the window. Totally. So, like, you know, you're not treating it like a business. 
if you treat your music like a business, so a business has uh, quarterly sales, mm-hmm. uh, business has overhead, business has uh, strategic plans on how to cut down gas prices, which is routing. Right. Uh, this is what a record label used to do. They would have someone doing all this, like a team of people. It wasn't like two people just making a tour. Right. It's a team of people. Someone's making your posters while someone's routing out your tour yeah. in the most gas efficient way. Marketing, like, promo, can, the whole fucking shebang. Yeah. It's all of it, man. Yeah. yeah. 100%. But now we have the tools to do it alone. Yeah. So for the musicians who fucking, I'm like, you know, you could. Now, do you want to? Or do you want to hire someone to do it? Because it's going to cost you a lot of money, but somebody will get you where you want to be if you got enough money. I mean, money rules everything. I would. So it's one of the. I would 100% advise that musicians outsource as much of that stuff as possible because we are not good at that stuff. Okay, like no. I I can sit here and and explain how album cycles work and how marketing strategies work when you're releasing singles and records and how you tour on them and how you budget for all this stuff. But at the, when it, and I know I'm, I'm very, I have a very good understanding of how it works. I am terrible at doing that work. The promo Mm -hmm. stuff, the marketing stuff, the social media, like all of it. If you're in a position or even if you're not in a position, figure out a way to put yourself in a position where you can outsource that work. Because at the end of the day, your job is to create music. You need to hire a team. You want a team of people around you that can, where you can delegate because that's what a good leader does. They delegate responsibilities. Ah, and you, you just said it. That's, that's what it is, man. It's like it, you, you, you delegate the responsibility, and that way you can run your enterprise as efficiently as possible. And that's what running the business is. You know, it's, it's, it's the whole thing. At the end of the day, what you want to do is create, right? You want to perform. You want to re- write records. You want to tour. You want to do all that stuff. But at the end of the day, you're a musician. Do that and let other and understand how the rest of it works and then figure out who the right people are to do that job because it's not your job. It's not my job. Well, you think about you know? it. So you just hit it right on the head. What I'm about to say is a 100% reflection of what you said, but it's a saying. Someone told me in a bar a long time ago. He said, I'm almost 90 years old and I'll probably end up dying tomorrow, but I got two things to tell you, young man. And I, I was hammered drunk, but I will never, ever forget it. He said, number one, if you don't go to bed that night, don't go to bed before you go to work. Just go straight into work, drunk as hell. Don't take that nap because you're never going to wake up for the job. It's going to ruin you. If you stay up all night, man up and stay up all day. And I thought, what a weird thing to say. And the second thing was do what you do best and delegate the rest. Mm, I love Always stuck with me. Do what you do best and delegate the rest. Do what you were born to do and let someone else do what they were born to do. Right. You'll be a successful people. And I just will always remember those two things like, Fuck, that's powerful. Because how many times have I stayed up all night long and then took that hour long nap and missed whatever the hell I was supposed to get up for? Yeah, t- you know, <laughs> or get up feeling twice as worse as you would if you would have just stayed up drunk. You'd feel great going to that whatever you needed to go through. Can we talk about so that? Was sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. Let's talk yeah, about it. Bro, like, I'm not gonna name names, but you know exactly what I'm talking about because you were there. Uh, Halloween 2018. Uh, there was yeah. there was a there, there, there was a there may have been a trust fall involved. 
<laughs> and uh, somebody uh, took a nap before a set. And yep, bro. Oh my god, what a fucking! It's a sh- I, I, don't ever take the nap. The old dude told me, power through, and once the job is done, take your nap. That's where he fucked up, bro. He took the nap. <laughs> it's where, that's what the dude told me in a bar, and I'll never forget it. Uh-huh. Along with do what you do best and delegate the rest, 100%. which is exactly what you just explained. One hundred percent, man. So musicians, so musicians out there that don't want to pay for it, realize if you're too lazy or not interested or uh, you're too busy writing songs and doing this and doing that and fixing the band van and scheduling a tour. Get someone else to do your social media. There's yeah. people right out of college who will do it. And you might think, oh, I don't have the money. You do have the money because they're going to make you money. Exactly. Those people, every business venture delegates what they can't do onto someone. And you have to pay for that. Right. So if you want to be successful, your band can't be a band. Your band has to be a lucrative business. Right. And I've been in bands before where we thought everything was normal and fine. And then we get screwed by taxes. Who thinks about taxes? You know, then you got to open up a business and an LLC. Well, now you have a business taxes and now everything's right off. But then how do you manage that? Right. Well, now you need to go get an accountant. Right. And you need to talk to someone. And if you know someone, put it out there on Facebook. Do I know a personal? Do I know an accountant that can help me out? Off the record. You know people. You know, anyone who's in a band, it's one of those using your like uh, networking your resources. You know, right now I'm in a corporate job, which is so different, but no different. It's you, you know, if you don't want to work as hard as you're pushed to work, well, use your resources and you won't have to. Right. It's like, ah, okay, I'm right back on tour again. Okay. I see what you're saying. It's the same shit, man. That's what people like musicians. That's why I was going back to, you know, bringing it all full circle again. Like musicians have this way of like whining and complaining about yeah. being an artist. And it's just like, it's just, I, I, sometimes it, to me, it's just like, there's a, this desire to, to want to avoid like real world scenarios, you know? And it's like, okay, man, like you want to play music. You don't want to work a real job, but guess what? Like, this is a real job. It, it just, it just is that. And the second you want, dude, if <laughs> the most of the people that you adore in these big bands also have a real job because when that tour ends, their paycheck ends. Totally. I know people in the. I'm not even gonna name names because I don't even want to go there. I know people in the biggest bands who you would think, oh, that guitar player probably makes a million dollars. No, that Fuck guitar player no. makes seven hundred and fifty a show. Right. Which to us is great, but like when the main guy's making a million a show or more, every band member's making five hundred to seven hundred and fifty a show. Right. Maybe making a thousand, but I doubt it. I highly doubt it. And that's sold out arenas. Right. It's not that much money in the band is unless you're the guy. No, the artist makes Who, money. The the band is getting paid, you know, a, yeah. a corporate wedding band rate, basically. Exactly. Which is fun. And when that tour's over, your paycheck. It's, it's done. That's it. You know, so either So if they pick up next year, well, I'll see you next year. But until then, you might want to get a job. Get a job or leverage that scenario to get you another gig where you can tour with another mm-hmm. band. Right. So it's like, it's just, it's navigating the system, but it's at the end of the day, it's, it's all work. It's all about like, 
you know, there's the networking, there's, there's, you know, again, the, the money stuff, the finances, like just the, 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 the business side of it, the, the promotion side of it, there's just all of it. And you're just not going to avoid like having to do the work and, and playing music is 5% of what being a musician is all about. The rest of it is real world bullshit that we have to just deal yeah. with, you know, that's what it is, man. And then you have to add in the little factor of the future and of the present and of like, yeah, okay, so you spent, Anton spent his whole life learning his craft, learning this guitar, learning how to write, learning how to tour, learning how to all do all this. And then you had this little dude over here on a ukulele playing three chords talking about living off of L.A. cocaine and Starbucks. And he's making millions off a three chord ukulele song on TikTok, right? And on Instagram, and he's blowing up when his voice is flat. Songs don't make sense. I can't fucking. I don't know. But can you relate to L.A. cocaine and Starbucks? No, I mean, I can't. I ain't never lived there. I don't know nothing about that life. Maybe the cocaine like, Starbucks part. <laughs> well, it's cocaine and Starbucks. Yeah. You know, it, it's just a whole different. I mean, I could write a whole song about. Never mind. I'm not even gonna say it. We're yeah. live. <laughs> my mom's gonna watch this <laughs> but it is but it is what it is man like uh you you have to realize that uh you know as much as you pour into it there are gonna be people who are being different i can't stress that enough to people um i want to say this real clear because a lot of people have asked me and i don't feel like i've had the the medium as i do right now to really put this out there because a lot of, there's a lot of stipulation on how i got the the fame on tiktok and stuff it kind of blew up on there and i want people to really understand what that what that meant to me because it's very different and the only reason i can the only way i can say this is to tell you well i'm not without naming any names my rep from my company that i love so much told me when i came into the office to sign a contract and i said wow this is a long time coming I said, me and my brothers sat down and calculated over 15 years of playing harmonica. I've spent $275,000 on harmonicas. Let that sit in a minute. $275,000 and just harmonicas in a 15-year stint. You know how many fucking guitars you could have bought? Packs of strings. Nothing, I don't know anyone who has spent that much money on their instrument other than rock stars who got that money to spend. Right. This came, this all of it came out of the band fund, the band's money. So by the time I sat down and told these people that, and they looked at me and were like, wow, thank you for supporting our business and for using that. But can we be completely honest with you? Yes, I love this and part. And I said, I said, please, because I'm really interested to know why I'm signing this contract. After all these years, I, I'm really interested. And, and they told me just like this. If we would have been scrolling and seen you play blues, I'd have scrolled right past you. If we would have been scrolling and seen you play uh, country, I'd have scrolled right past you. If I would have seen you playing jazz, jazz fusion, funk, any type of harmonica, I would have scrolled right past you. But you put something you put something that I know so well into a genre that we don't know so well. You are the 
face and the voice of modern harmonica as it stands. You are making harmonica cool to young kids. For that record, we want you on our team. For that reason. And I kind of sat back and went, in my life, I have got to cross out my bucket list already. I don't have any checks left. I've been very fortunate as a musician. Harmonica has put me on every stage I've ever wanted to be on with every band that I could ever imagine of wanting to be on with. So I'm thinking like all that was the reason for this sponsorship. It was nothing. It meant nothing to them. Everything that I based my pride on meant nothing to them. And this 10 second little click on TikTok meant everything to them. And it really was a reality check for me as a human and as a musician who has made this a lifelong career. You know, granted, I'm only 35, but there's, you know, there's no stopping. It's, it's like, I might have another job, but I'm never going to stop playing music. And one day, I'll probably be back to full-time playing music. But it, um, it was one of those humbling moments for me that was just kind of like, maybe earlier on in my life, I should have got out of my head and not focused so much on the material things I was focusing on. I was so busy trying to, or not me, but we collectively in each band I've ever been in, were so busy trying to find a way to be different that people didn't want different. People wanted the same old thing with something different in it, mm-hmm. and that's a weird way to. That's a weird way to say it. I understand, but like, people want what they want. Right. They. That's why cover bands do well. That's why it's hard for an original band to play a set without playing covers in, bet- in between your original songs because people want to hear what the hell they want. Right. So if you can give them a touch of what they want with your flair in it and call that original, you have opened up Pandora's box. A hundred percent. So that's what I... It's kind of one of these things that I'm trying to preach to people these days is like, I don't think my head was right back in the day. I think we were just part we were, we were focused on the party and the money and the, you know, smoking weed and drinking and, and touring and how many people were showing up. And it was like, you know, we were living the life. We were doing the motions instead of worrying about like a sustainable, like how could we take our music, listen to what other, our fans are listening to and meld it into that. And then listen to what our fans aren't listening to. The people who hate us, what are they listening to? How can I put what I do with that and then put that out there to maybe get both of them? Right. And I feel like that's where a lot of people don't want to think about because it seems too hard or it seems too far-fetched. Well, yeah, I think people don't like the idea of tailoring their style to the mass population and it again as an artist as a musician your entire career is to try and figure out how to get the mass population to buy your shit so it's it's kind of like incumbent on you to figure out like the thing like like what's worked in the past and then figure out how to put your spin on it and that's why you found the success that you found because you do something that's uh, you t- you've taken a traditional instrument that people can recognize and they know the sound of, and you put this entirely different spin on it, and people are like, "Holy shit!" You know, you became a player in the game. You're no longer just like a participant in spectating or like whatever it might be. You're you've changed the game. You know, so congratulations for that. And you know, that's where every artist strives 
to to make that kind of a, like an impact. Every single person here, every artist that's ever written a song has done it with the intention of believing that their thing is going to be a game changer. And the vast, vast, vast majority of them are just fooling themselves. But you did it, man. So congratulations, you know. Man, I don't even, I mean, I appreciate what you're saying, the sentiment of what you're saying, but I don't feel like I did shit. <laughs> I don't think I, I don't feel like I did anything different than anyone's ever done before me. You know what I mean? I was just the only I'm not even gonna say the only one to do it because I'm sure someone's done it before. Sure, but you just but but you were everything's already been done. I just happen to be on the same on the right platform at the right time, putting out the right shit and, and people and it's not like I have millions of followers. I got 175,000, which I'm not bitching about. It's great. Yeah. You know, but the people who are like, oh, you're not taking our family, you ain't got a million. Well, that's fine. I've had 14 million views. I've had 14 million people have at least watched one of my videos or scrolled past it, one of the, whatever you want to put it as. Shit would never happen if I hadn't have thought outside the box. And that, it wasn't me sitting there going, you know what? I'm gonna get on here and do blues licks. I'm gonna show people out. Right. It would have never gotten. It would have never gotten anywhere. You were being creative, man. That's and that's what worked. It's important to note that it wasn't the 10 second clip that got you discovered. It was your creativity and your spin on something that people again like recognized but didn't understand what you were doing and it worked you know it's like so i think that's an important distinction to make between like you know well the 10 second clip is where where i where i found my voice it's like no the like that was that was the platform in which your voice got discovered because you were able to you were able to fully kind of uh uh discover the extent of your creativity on that platform and at, at the right time, the right place. And that's literally yeah. the story oldest time. It's always the right time in the right yeah. place, you know? Yeah. So, so, so you've done it, man. And, and, uh, and congratulations on that. It's truly just, well, uh, 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 you know, it's, it, like I it's, said, man, it's, it's the it's, pinnacle that we're all trying to reach, you know? So I, I appreciate it, man. But like I said, dude, I don't, the only feel, the only, the only difference I feel like I've made is when I see people say, "Hey, I bought a harmonica because of you." Totally, but and that's it's, it's like, fuck yeah, absolutely, cool, fuck yeah, absolutely. You know, if that can inspire the younger generation or any generation, honestly, to buy a harmonica, I mean, like, it's the same reason my dad gave me that stupid ass five dollar Cracker Barrel harmonica, and I was like, "What the hell is this for?" It changed the course of my entire life. Right, I would definitely be in prison or dead by now. <laughs> Hands down. Yeah. What I was dealing with before the harmonica came into my life, I promise you I'd be dead. And if not, I'd definitely be in prison. I, so it's like, you know, it took me from that and put me into a world of a bunch of musicians who are screwy, crazy people. But at the same time, they all have something in common. They're all trying. Exactly. Exactly. You know, they're all trying to make it whatever that means to them. And they all have a couple people who love them for what they do. And, uh, you know, all I can say and all I keep preaching to people, man, is uh, selling out was a thing of the 90s. It was a thing of the 80s. It was a thing of, like, selling out. I don't even know if selling out, and you might have a completely adverse, you know, effect to this, which I would love to hear. But, like, selling out in the Internet age is kind of like, you know, what does that even mean? You know what I mean? Like, at the same time, I'm not telling you to sound like, I'm not saying ask your people who they like and try to sound just like them. It's not what I'm saying. I'm saying if you want to grow and expand, don't leave someone out. Right. 
If you're if you're a bluegrass band, and all we do is bluegrass, damn it! But you got a fan who wants to hear a reggae song. Why not do a reggae version of bluegrass or a bluegrass version of a reggae song? It's like you're not selling out. You're trying to uh, you're trying to tickle the pickle of someone who really loves you, you know. And well, my favorite band's Pink Floyd, but all you play is bluegrass. Well, hell, let's learn this for them. Exactly. Maybe she's not the only person that will like this. I feel like that's where the Chord Brothers found our success is where it was like people wanted to hear certain things and we weren't like, oh, we don't do that. When we would be touring with bands who were like, nah, hell nah, hell nah. I'd rather be dead than do that. Right. I'm like, really? Fuck, I don't know. I'll do it. <laughs> I mean, like, we're all musicians here, shit. We're all like trying to make it. Like, if somebody's asking for it and we know how to play it as musicians, we should probably play it. I look back to it like oldest time, like jesters, like, Dance for me, Pookie. I have you till six. That is what we are. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, we're we're jesters. Yeah, we're entertainers. Hundred percent. So entertain me, motherfucker. There, and and the more you entertain me, the more money I'm going to give you. Exa- and it's like Ooh. exactly. And there's a it's a, a, a it's a saying, and and we'll end on this note because we got to wrap it up. But uh, there's a saying that I always say on this podcast, and you kind of hit it on the head. There is no selling out. There is only buying in, and. Uh, ah. That's that's what it is, bro, in my opinion. So speaking of opinions, let's hit on popular opinions. Uh, this is a segment that we always close the show out with. Oh. Um, so uh, basically the way that it works, typically Billy starts it off, but Billy's no longer with us. So um, The naysayer. The naysayer. No, we love Bill. He just doesn't want to do this anymore. I so love Billy. Way. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I have nothing but love for Billy, but he would be the one on here like, I don't believe you. Uh, I don't like that. Yeah. You know, everything I say, he's going to be like, ah, and I love him for it. Totally. You know? that, that, uh, that was, I anticipated that tonight. I was like, oh God, I got to deal with the nice thing. No, that, that is the beauty of, of our dynamic and relationship. And, uh, I'm, you know, maybe he'll be back one day. We can continue that dynamic, but Hey man, a break is good for everybody. A hundred percent. So Chris, you're going to have an unpopular opinion now since Billy's gone. What's your unpopular opinion, bro? <laughs> uh, Thanks for the heads up, by the way. Oh, yeah, I just thought about it right now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. My maybe maybe it's the talent gets paid too much. That's my unpopular opinion. Incorrect, uh, but okay. No, it's um, you know, the producers, you know, put in all this legwork. They they push the buttons, you know. Oh, everyone's everyone plays a role 100. percent But there is no business without the brand, and the brand is the talent. Unfortunately, oh, I don't know about that, man. Producers, they'll produce whatever we'll produce a blade of grass but you don't producers get hired producers get hired and that's the difference right yeah but all of a sudden but you can produce a blade of grass that goes viral and all of a sudden you're you're a world-renowned you know grass producer sure then you will hire producers to work for you at that point and then you will be the Ah! (laughs) (laughs) then then i'm a and r i'm the talent scout i'm you know my talent isn't mouthy it's just growing and i can foster that i don't know all right cool well when you find an entire industry that uh that is selling out arenas because of a producer then you let me know i'm working on it as hard as i can all right bro that sounds like yeah it sounds like a real uphill battle for you see where (laughs) that's a good unpopular opinion though i like it yeah yeah well now that i now that i get to play the game i'll have a couple for you so isaac what, what, what you got bro Oh, and man. don't give me the bullshit. I don't have any unpopular opinions. We all got unpopular opinions. Let's fucking do oh, it. Oh, no, no, no. I have the opposite problem. <laughs> I got I've you, watched your show so much. I've actually made notes in my phone of what I would say if I was ever on oh, this show. I love it. I'm actually currently on my phone right now, so I can't draw them back. And so 
I'm just gonna go ahead and throw one out there that I that it means a lot to me. There's two of them, but for the sake of doing one, give them give them both to us, bro. Let's do it. I'm gonna give them both because they both have to do with the same thing. Let's do it. First off, how do you eat pizza without mustard on it? What the fuck? That is. And second, and second off, ranch goes on everything. Agree. Even cereal. Well. <laughs> Um, everything. Can I just everything? Bless his heart, man. <laughs> um, okay, let me just dissect this for a second. Um, I believe that ranch goes well with most things. Okay, so I'm kind of with you there. Not the cereal part. Um, mustard on pizza is um, can't eat it without the it. Top three trashiest things I've ever heard said in my life. <laughs> well, you're hanging with the top three trash, one of the top three trashiest people you've ever heard. I with, just probably. discovered that, bro. Fucking mustard oh, on bro. pizza. That has got to be, I mean, holy Let me ask you fuck. a question. If you could put, do you if, like mustard? No. Well, then you're not going to like it. Chris, do you like mustard? I love it. Like stone ground mustard, like really Dijon. Any mustard. mustard. I don't give a shit what kind oh, of dude, mustard you like. Oh, my God. Now, the second question, do you like pizza? I, I love it. Yeah. Bro. Don't knock it till you try it. I have turned on so many people to this by the hundreds, and they've just been like, "What the fuck?" I see. like it's the best combination ever. That if you could it, if you could put like trailer trash into food, you just did it, bud. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know what? I'm proud of that. Yeah, thing, man. I will. Yeah. I will own that shit. I'll probably make myself a plaque hanging on my wall. Yeah, trailer trash. Yeah. <laughs> fuck him, Isaac. I, I know what I'm getting after the podcast. Yeah. Hey, yeah, you know you do, damn right. I love it. That's, yeah, got, that is a great unpopular opinion, by the way. That was very phenomenal. unpopular. Very unpopular. I mean, yeah, it's yeah. What an awful thing to try. Okay, so <laughs> <laughs> See, no, no, hang on, you gotta try. I'm gonna try it next next week in the podcast. We're gonna do it on the episode. We'll, we'll, we're gonna try pizza with mustard. Okay, so I got a. So for you, that's not such a big fan of mustard. Mix mustard with ranch. I call it rustard. Ooh, that could and work. Then diet. So the people that not are big mustard fan. Yeah, I say mix it with ranch because everything goes better with ranch. And then try it. The water it down a little bit for you. Put it with some ranch. But like for the people who like mustard, rustard. Oh my goodness. So I'm learning so much today. What do you got there, Some Chris? Redneck shit. It's, there's just a New York Times article about this whole topic. I, really? I didn't. There's, what? You've tapped. You've tapped into something that I didn't know was this visceral, man. This is our clip for the week. This is our I knew it. clip for the week. It's gonna go viral. We had a couple clips go viral. One about me talking shit about the Layla solo, <laughs> and then another one. Oh, dude, I yeah, I saw that. You got shunned oh for that one. Oh my god, bro. I got Still so much it. hate for that one. And then another Ooh. one was shitting on on country rap. Uh, I said it was a terrible genre, and I got a lot of haters uh, after that one, too. Um, Which is funny because I'm in that genre, and I still hate it. Man, there's a difference. You know, like, there's people, like, they, they were kind of, like, pioneers of the genre, like, you know, Everlast and stuff. And it's it's fine. Like, it, like that works. That's not what I'm talking about, though. I'm talking about, like, the fucking, when it sounds like Jason Aldean is rapping over oh, a God. trap beat. <laughs> that kind of shit. And I don't give a fuck. I'll say this right now. Eric Upchurch, Garbage. Hot garbage. First off, his name's Ryan Upchurch. Same difference. <laughs> and second off, you can call him garbage all you want, but as a musician, you better respect him because he had no label, was the underdog. Everyone fucking rooted against him. Yeah. And now he is sold out 20,000 people, has hey. his own record label, 
and is fucking working with Jelly Roll. I will Honestly, never I'm hate. Not, I'm not a big fan of Upchurch's music, but I'm a big fan of who he is and what he's done. Bro, I will never knock anyone's hustle. If you're out there grinding and you're doing your thing, I'm not going to knock that. A hundred percent. Right. As far but, as the music. I mean, <laughs> hot garbage. It's it's hot garbage. Anyways. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, it works. He, he does what he does. It's fine. Mustard and pizza. Yeah. <laughs> Eric, uh, Ryan Upchurch definitely eats that for sure. <laughs> hey, we'd probably get along. Yeah. All right. So my unpopular opinion, something that you said earlier um, that kind of sparked this in me, um, and I've done a lot of back and forth in my head about this because as somebody who also never took lessons or, um, you know, had like a classical, you know, like, traditional training in music, I would also, the inclination is to say, well, I'm self-taught, but I don't believe that any musician is actually self-taught, you know, because we're all like studying something. We're all listening. We're like playing something and then we're copying licks. And maybe we didn't have like the training in the classroom, taking the test and like transcribing and like, and that's what that means. Right. Totally. Totally. Um, but I think that we all like nobody, like just taught themselves out of thin air how to play an instrument. I think self-taught to me means more of like uh, uh, it's just okay, ear-based harmon- learning by ear. So, well, yeah, ear. But like, there's people who come up to me and go, "How do you learn these licks on harmonica?" Well, what I do is I take my phone and my voice recorder and I take them and I record organ players at a show. And I, re- if I like the guitar player or the bass player, I'll record them and I'll go home and learn that line on harmonica, whether it was organ, bass guitar singing a vocal line i will take something from them and i will i will learn that so to say that i'm all self-taught is complete bullshit yeah (laughs) but i also taught myself how to play what they just did they didn't sit down with me and no one no there was no harmonica teacher to be like let me break down this right for you totally i taught myself that solo but it wasn't my solo so and then i feel you there yeah because then you take those licks and then like you do them your own way and then you implement them into your playing and it's like before you know it like you're not a, a you're not like a carbon copy version of somebody else but your entire bag like anybody else who was trained as well is is yeah. pulling from all these different influences so it's not like you is like 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 nobody like you and I having not had any like real training as, as musicians nobody like, like we weren't like put in a in a void in a box giving our instruments and said. There you go. Because then that would be self-taught. Like not having heard music, never seeing anyone play the instrument, and then just putting it, having someone put it in front of you and just say, here you go. That would be to me self-taught. I, and I don't think that, that exists. So I don't know. You know, but um, Isaac, thank you so much for being here, man. Thank you for having me, man. Honestly, it's been a long time. And this, it, honestly, the Tom time kind of caught me by surprise because i had a whole other thing i was going to bring up with you when it comes to uh, hand-to-hand combat and uh jiu-jitsu and mma what's up because i think me and you have a lot to talk to when it comes about that my dad trained that my whole entire life i've heard growing up yeah and uh i i see you you know doing your thing on the internet and it's like you know it brings a whole level of respect you know not that I say that I never had for you, that I never knew about you. You know, um, I have a lot, of, a large level of respect for anyone who takes up. Uh, I don't know what I'm trying to say there, as far as like takes up uh, responsibility of learning how to protect you and the ones around you. Right. It's something that most people shy away from because they don't want a physical altercation. You know, but at the same time, not only knowing- shy away from it, but do you ever get like? Did you train as well? 
Yeah. So, do, so do you ever feel like people not only shy away from it, but actually like try and make you feel bad for engaging in the thing? Like it's almost yeah. like stupid to be doing it type shit. Yeah, but it's also the same way of people that don't, you know, believe in like you, you know you were you're terrified of guns. Yeah, I build I build ARs and right. I shoot guns. I've been shooting guns. I've you know I'm not gonna even go into this because we're on the internet right now. But like I let's just say since a small child, since I was old enough to hold one, it's been a part of my life. Same as fighting. Um, <clears throat> not that I've been in a bunch of fights because the way I was trained to fight wasn't boxing. It was how to seriously injure someone. So it's not something you just go get into because I'm never trying to cop a murder charge. You know, it's it's just, um, you know, it is what it is, you know. So, you know, the the training that I received growing up was like, you know, if it's worth fighting over, it's worth killing over, you know. Mm. So there's no like, you know, there's no like, hey, you're getting in a fight at school because you disagreed on something. It was like, you know, if I got in a fight, it was, you know, I'm trying to take you out. Yeah. How I learned. Like this it's just what I was taught, you know, and it wasn't necessarily a negative thing, but it was also a thing that like it taught discipline to me. And there was other friends of mine who, you know, were very inspired by my father, you know, it taught discipline to them that their parents never showed them. And uh, some of those people to, still to this day run their own dojo and uh, are very successful, you know, and uh, from kids all the way to MMA fighters. So it's like, I think it's a beautiful thing. I think it's something that, you know, uh, I think people don't talk about, you know, when you talk about musicians and this is a musician podcast, every musician should have an outlet other than music. Yes. Um, to let off steam and to uh, just focus your energy elsewhere yes. other than music because it can drive you crazy. So that doesn't have to be hand to hand combat doesn't have to be anything even close to that. You know, I also enjoy painting uh, acrylics and just as much as I enjoy, you know, like uh, training, fighting and uh uh, playing music it's it's an outlet they're all different outlets so you know when i found that out about you i thought that was very interesting that we had similar interests i'm like that's an outlet for you that you still pursue that i haven't pursued in years because i grew up with it now my whole life's encapsulated you know encapsulated and having children and working and playing music but uh i respect you a lot um for that and for what you've accomplished doing that man i just wanted to put that out there man i really appreciate that it's a uh it's a you know I've been involved in martial arts in some capacity for a lot of my life, but this is the first time where I've really, uh, you know, found something that I felt like was very, like, you know, practical uh, martial art. You know, like Muay Thai is very, you know, the idea is to kill your opponent, like, as aggressively sure. as possible. and uh, As quick as possible. As quick yeah. as possible, you know, and, like, and the, you know, the art of using all your limbs. and 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 to me, it's like, you know, I find so much similarities between, um, you know, Muay Thai and music in the way, in the way that like, you know, the, the fighting is like, it's, it's, it's an improv jam, you know, like. It's like, a flow. Yes. It's, it flow. It flows. Exactly. And, and, and it's, and it's, and it's exactly that, man. It's, it's, it's just like a jam where there, it's a flow. There's things happening. You're reacting. They're reacting. Like sometimes there's a disruption and then you have to adjust and it's like just it's a dance, you know, and it's so mm -hmm. uh, and, and it's a discipline that you have to practice and like get your technique right. Otherwise, you're not going to do the thing correctly. It's very much a similar. Uh, and someone's going to eat your fucking lunch. <laughs> oh, my God. Man. That's, and that's what's so cool about it, too, is, you know, like you go in there and it really does. You really do have to take your mind off everything, because if you don't, you're going to get your ass kicked. You know, that's just what it is. It's time to 
whatever shit's happening professionally, personally, uh, family-wise, anything, it, it all has to literally stay at the door because we're here, we're training, and you, you can, you're, especially with the coaches and like, you know, the, 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 uh, the students that are like more advanced, like they can, they know how to really hurt you uh, if you're not paying attention and they're not even doing it yeah. to like, to, to, it's just like the idea. It's muscle memory for them. Exactly. So it's, to me, it's such a, it's a, such an amazing discipline and I find, I find great, great uh, uh, therapy in it, you know? So shout out to Ruckus Muay Thai over in uh, uh, yeah, for sure. Rail Yard District and all that. They're just an amazing crew of people and um yeah, I mean, it's just it's done so much just for my mental state and everything. Well, you know? I wanted to bring it up because I know it's another passion of yours, and I just wanted to bring this up for the musicians and the people that will be watching this. It's like you know, music doesn't have to be everything. Right. Find another outlet. Find something that you know, music you can get burned out quick. Yeah. So don't let yourself burn out. And what I say, what I mean by that is have another outlet, whether that be any other medium of art and, and like I am not excluding fighting as an art you know what I mean you have to very much know what you're doing or you know you don't clearly um it's one of those things where you can find anything that it is but I would encourage people to find something else find something else that you love I mean even people that love guitars maybe making guitars maybe working on guitar find something that brings you out of just the everyday of your hustle because whenever you go to practice 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 and you're driving yourself crazy and you can't get that lick you need something else you can go do. Right. Because I don't feel like you'll ever grow if you don't have something else. If that's all you focus on, it's hard to grow. A hundred percent. Because you just beat yourself up. And like, it's good to have a creative outlet. And when I saw that you were into that, and I was like, man, that's really cool that Anton's into that. But it makes a lot of sense. You're disciplined in your playing. You're disciplined in your Muay Thai. You're disciplined in what you do. But like, it brings that discipline to your life. Right. It makes it helps you be a better you. A hundred percent, man. If that makes any sense for people, like yeah, I mean, just yeah, you nailed it on the head. A hundred percent, man. That means a lot. I appreciate you uh, bringing that up, and you know, I'm glad we can connect on that level. It's very cool. Yeah, for sure, man. It is what it is. You know, I you know one of my uh, I just actually found out. I'll, I'll I'll end it at this, but like the unpopular opinion that I had wrote down for tonight was. Um, if you're 18 and you still haven't been punched in the face, you should have to line up, go downtown, get in line, and let someone just rock your ass. Bow! Just one time. Just one. Because if you've never felt like what it feels like to get struck by another human being, it's exhilarating and it hurts you deep down in. Mm -hmm. Not just a physical hurt, but like your, your feelings pride, are yeah. hurt. Your pride's hurt. Your feelings hurt. And also, then you feel the Damn, that hurt. Well, like, it lets you know how vulnerable you are. People. Well, it's primal. It's yeah. primal. And the day and age of where this, a keyboard where everyone can talk as much shit as they want, you should at least know what it feels like to get popped. A hundred percent, man. A hundred percent. Because the real world does not work like that. You go talking shit to someone, they go pop you. A hundred percent. And it's like, you don't even have to fight back. Most of them will just walk, pop you and walk away. And right. let you know they've learned your lesson. Most of them aren't out to kill you. Right. So it's like, you know... When it comes to that outlet, me and you can get along great, and I'll leave it at that. But, uh, you know, I do wanted to bring that up and tell you I'm proud of you for it, man. I think it's great that you have that outlet, man. Cheers, homie. Thank you so much for doing this, and thank you for that acknowledgement. And um, we got to do this again. We've got so much more to talk about, I feel like. 
I'd love to. Hey, a big uh, thanks to Chris for running everything and uh, making yeah. this all. Star of the happen. show, the producer. Happy to be here. <laughs> also, one of my favorite guitar players in all of Jacksonville. Oh, you're too sweet, bro. He did win Jacksonville's best guitar player recently, so. I'm yeah. not surprised sure. even a little bit. Absolutely. I, you know, he should be Florida's, one of Florida's best guitar players, like. He's yeah. underrated. Him, him and Dylan Adams are the two most underrated players there are. Oh, and yeah. I will stand by. I tell that people all the time. Dylan, You're talking about Florida. It's Chris Underall and damn Dylan Adams. Dylan's coming on the podcast in a couple of weeks. So I'm excited to talk to him about oh, some stuff. Can't wait to see that one. Hell Woo! yeah. All right, bro. Well, thank you all, man. Appreciate y'all having me on. Cheers, man. Talk to you soon. All right. Boom. Yeah.